Hello and welcome to the back page of Video Games Podcast. I'm Samuel Roberts and I'm joined today by Matthew Castle. Hello. Matthew, how are things going for you in this unseasonably warm April weather? Uh, well, now I'm feeling especially bad for not going outside and leaving the house. Um, you don't feel too rotten about that when it's grim outside. In fact, it factors into your thinking. Um, but now it's hot, I don't particularly want to leave and go, go for my uh, walks, which I have been trying to do. It's too yeah. hot. It must be hard for you to leave the house when you've got all those um, Kingdom Hearts games on PC to play. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they all got added to the uh, Epic Games Press account, so I assume you'll be playing those uh, right away. Um, am I right? Uh, no, no, that's 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 not going to happen. I did start playing Kingdom Hearts One on Xbox Game Pass uh, a couple of weeks ago, and they are they are strange old games. Absolutely rancid platforming i have no idea how a series that popular can have platforming that bad but i guess that's not what they're built for no i mean it was square enix trying to uh you know expand its remit a bit in the early noughties i will say one thing for the first kingdom hearts it still looks really nice i think for considering it's a ps2 game from about 18 19 years ago now um yeah yeah. and, and there are definitely moments in it where you completely understand the appeal of the series and the magic and the achievement of like getting disney to sign off on it you know when they they basically have a quite an early cut scene which is like a, a you know all the villains but they're all kind of uh in the shadow it's sort of like a james bond kind of specter layer type deal and you know they're just really iconic silhouettes so it's obviously like you know the sack man from um nightmare before christmas and you know the 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 queen from alice in wonderland or whatever there's just something quite you know like oh yeah that is quite cool actually like having these characters to play with i kind of get that um it's just a shame that it got so bogged down in like its own bollocks and became less about the pure magic of that idea and more about the the weird law of kingdom hearts which is the worst law ever yeah i think that just to kind of defend kingdom hearts a little bit because it is very trendy among our peers to like dunk on kingdom hearts because i think partly because um as we've alluded to on previous episodes a lot of the uh, writers who like it are about five to ten years younger than us and they're people who played the games as like kids and therefore you know their brains had the um capacity to absorb all of the law nonsense whereas we're all very suspicious of it i think that the first one is the best for that kind of whistle stop tour through disney worlds uh married to some not particularly challenging combat and obviously that very nice music so yeah it's uh it's got something about it, but I don't think that you in your mid-30s are going to become the world's biggest Kingdom Hearts fan. I'm going to be honest, that's just yeah, how I feel. Yeah, no, that's, that's probably fair. I didn't go in with this, like, oh, I'm just going to dunk on this game. You know, I really wanted to give it a go, so I actually had some substance to my uh, later dunkings. Right. And, um, yeah, I, you know, I am open to saying that there was stuff in it. I was like, oh, yeah, I, I get why, like... I can see why my brother, you know, dug this all those years ago. You know that I, there's a, a, you know, there is a great idea at work here. What about other stuff? You've been playing anything else lately in these um, um, slightly quiet times for new releases? 
Yeah, I'm, I'm really, really jonesing for that new Ace Attorney that's been rumoured to come out, the the, the ports and localization of uh, the great Ace Attorney series. Hmm. Um, so I've been really hungering for Ace Attorney, so I'm, I'm going back and playing uh, the Ace Attorney games again. I'm just on a big Ace Attorney thing at the moment, so I just played uh, Miles Edgeworth 1 again, um, which is my least favourite, but also the one I played the longest ago. Um, and playing Miles Edgeworth 2 at the moment. Probably going to replay maybe 5 and 6. I don't know, I'm just in the mood for it. Fair enough, fair enough. I mean, it feels like at some point we're going to see this big, you know, sort of um, array of, like, re-releases and a new release and stuff like that. This has been, like, rumoured for a long time now, so... um, Yeah. Yeah, it's surely just a matter of time. In in this game-starved year, it'll be... It'll really hit the spot, I'm sure. Yeah, oh, I'm so excited. They're great. I just, I don't know. It's sometimes nice to leave your favourites for quite a long time and then go back to them and, and sort of have that renewed thing. You know, if you play, especially games which are so story heavy, you need, you need a bit of a break to sort of see them in that fresh light again. Mm, absolutely. Um, what about you? What have you been up to? Uh, so I actually picked up the third Phoenix Wright game again this week, having given that a big pause so i'm very slow at getting through these i am um, as i mentioned in a previous episode it took me a, over a decade to finish phoenix Wright 2 uh was it justice <laughs> for all the second one i think it is yeah. yeah so yeah i'm on trials and tribulations or trials and tribs as i've um, you know um tr- trendily abbreviated it cool. and that is i'm on the second case and towards the end of the second case there's some good twists in that one and uh that's the um mask damask or whatever it's called that uh yeah yeah, that character stealing the um, the urn and all that business. So, yeah, that will take some big twists. I mean, very much enjoying it. I'm treating it like it's my nighttime reading a book before bed and doing yeah. that instead of reading an actual book. So that's uh, that's how that's how I've been playing them as well. Um, mm-hmm. Which is bad because I have loads and loads of books uh, waiting to be read, and I feel like I'm you know I never I will also play games other times, but I won't, probably won't read in the day. So I really am eating into what little book time I have. Well, a key cultural difference between you and me, Matthew, is that I will only read books that have Wolverine in them. So, you know, (laughs) that's, um, you know, and as I understand it, Wolverine doesn't appear in like the majority of works by, um, you know, uh, Dickens or uh, you know or your favorite Japanese crime he was, authors. He so. was created by all the Bronte sisters working together, <laughs> so he does appear throughout all their works. <laughs> okay, uh, good stuff. So yes, um, other than that, I've been playing a bit of Yakuza Zero. I'm trying to get through a bunch of that. So uh, next week's episode is a Yakuza special, and we've got a nice, uh, a cool special guest coming on who's a, a an expert in the series and can That's speak right, to it. It's Majima. <laughs> that's right he's going to climb out of a bin and uh he's got a blue yeti microphone um at home which is handy so yes look forward to that so been doing a bit of that and uh other otherwise i still kind of like working through hypnospace outlaw a little bit but i don't know I'm between games somewhat at the moment and, and that's fine by Ooh. me so matthew this episode we've been promising this for a little while this one is very much a sequel episode to our popular games magazine covers from Hell episode, as seen on the website rockpapershotgun.com. <laughs> that one proved popular. Um, it was uh, to the guy who said that I was driving on the motorway while listening to that one, and therefore it was confusing as hell in the comments of that story. I really sympathise. So I will say that in this episode, we're going to talk about covers that 
Well, in the, in the previous episode, we talked about covers where there was some kind of challenge involved or uh, there was something we weren't particularly delighted about when reflecting on it. This one is more of a positive bent, though I think that in hearing the stories behind these covers, you'll get an equally interesting amount of an- like insight on how we actually make these. But like last time, I will put all of the covers in question on Pinterest with little captions so people at home can look at them and understand what we're actually talking about. So, yeah, it's kind of like a scratch and sniff podcast. Isn't that exciting? Nice. Uh, yeah. What, a, what so, a pitch. Indeed. So how are you feeling about this one, Matthew? Did you enjoy going back through memory, memory lane for more covers? Do you feel like you got more to say on the covers subject this time? Yeah, I maybe... I- I had this the, the the first episode we did as well, which was going back and realizing, you know, you know, the longest stint I had as editor was on OXM. You know, I edited like the last year of O and M. You know, I wasn't editor on Endgamer. Um, you know, edited like the last couple of issues of Nintendo Gamer. So like, I don't have you know the the meat of my kind of career. You know, I, I wasn't really involved in covers. You you have a lot more covers to your name than I do. So I have I have less to choose from, and uh, there's quite a lot of repetition in there. Also, um, one of the challenges is that uh, we're talking specifically like covers, not wallets. I don't really have the wallets anymore, um, and a lot of the wallets were, were just quite garish and designed just to get you to pick it up. And so finding sort of more traditional kind of cover structures and everything's a little harder. Um, but I think I've got some good ones for this. Yeah, perhaps I've cursed you here because I didn't really work on a magazine with a bag that often. So just to kind of summarise that, what Matthew's referring to there is some magazines arrive in bags on the um, on the shelves and other magazines like PC Gamer tend to not arrive in bags. So what you actually put on the um, cover of the magazine itself is slimmed down significantly when it's presented inside a bag because you don't have to do the hard work of saying to people on the shelves, you know, like... Um, this is the this is the kind of cover up front and uh, here's all the mm. details you need to know so yeah information goes in the bag and then the the cover itself can be a bit more slimmed down mm. i have one cover that came in a bag i did find an image of the bag but i didn't want to confuse people listening by providing too many images so uh, i'll just have to um, explain my way out <laughs> it's of that like one. you need to get two phones for this one and have them next to each other <laughs> yeah and enter the konami code and then um, <laughs> hand over your credit card details and, and that's that's our motorway listener now dead <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly um in which case yeah that's um that's interesting to note uh but nonetheless matthew in looking through the covers you've got here your covers from heaven um there's some beautiful covers here i'm um, looking forward to to discussing them so to kind of explain how this one will differ a little bit because last time we very much covered all of the different parts of magazine cover craft in terms of like how you make the cover what you look for in a game that sort of thing we don't feel like we need to go over that stuff quite so much this time because yeah. you know Listen it was to all that covered. Episode first, I would say. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Consider this a you know a successor. So yeah, that covers all of that kind of like meat and potatoes stuff. Um, and in this episode, instead, what we've got is two different sections. So the first section will be uh, covers that we worked on as uh, writers or you know section editors. We weren't in charge of the magazine, so other people were responsible for the covers, but. In doing that, we've got like a slightly different angle on covers and some different stories about how they were made. And then in the second part, we're going to go through five of our favourite covers each, one by one. So it's going to be fun. And Matthew, I wondered on that subject, did you have anything new to add on the kind of process of covers that you uh, didn't cover last time? Uh, it was quite interesting because I was, I was looking at O&M and Endgamer along, side by side. 
And I was actually looking at what O&M were doing at the same time I was on Endgamer. Because I was just curious to see how we both tackled the same subject matter or how we, you know, who decided to do what each month and, you know, whether anything interesting emerged from that. And um, it's quite interesting, actually, because, like, uh, O&M, uh, I think in the, uh, those slightly earlier days, there was maybe more, not not necessarily pressure, but, like, certain, like, key Nintendo games that we never put on Endgamer that they did do that was slightly more unusual. Um, and actually they had to, they, they actually had some quite like interesting kind of things they had to do. Like I, I almost wanted to include some O and M covers, but I wasn't working on the mag, so I didn't, because I thought it'd be cheating. <laughs> um, do you know, O and M did a cover for, uh, the, the, the notebook memo service on 3DS. Wow. Wow. I mean, you mean they're like the half a screen that you can draw on that thing? Yeah. Yeah. Picto chat. Was that it? Uh, no, not picture chat. No, this was on 3DS. It had like an inbuilt messaging service where you could like it was called like Notepad. I I forget the name of it, but you basically like if you could send like little sketches and things to your mates on your 3DS friend list. I think you could exchange them on Street Pass as well. Mm. So it was like the inbuilt software on the on the 3DS. <laughs> and, um, uh, yeah, that's pretty bold. But, I must yeah, say. Yeah, they did it, but and they yeah, and it was literally like a like a like a pretty much a blank cover I'll, I'll include it in the, in the folder actually so you can see it it's pretty much like a blank cover and it was like a des- like a write your letter here on this cover it was like the game it was like write your memo on the cover and then take a picture and send it in and it's a competition mm. it's kind of it's kind of cr- it's kind of crazy and out there like it's quite experimental yeah <laughs> um, uh, and considering so- I'll try and sell Endgamer as the kind of zany one. That's cri- that's far zanier than anything I ever did. Yeah, and uh, next month's cover will be the settings menu. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Mies, <laughs> just the me, the concept of Mies. Ah, uh, well, I mean, I guess like these were. I can see exactly how these things happen, just from how fallow those times were. And um... yeah, well, yeah, uh, there's some that I didn't include of Endgamer because I don't particularly like them. Where I remember we really struggled and we had to like come up with some mad concepts there's one there's an in-gamer cover which is a bit like 2001 space odyssey it's like mario's hat like rising like a planet in front of the sun it's really odd i remember andy made it it looks nice the image is fine but i remember looking at that and going like yeah we had absolutely nothing that month like yeah to pretend that like mario was some kind of space monolith that's when you know it's hard times i must admit that when as soon as you said 2001 a space odyssey i thought oh it's going to be like the um star child but it's wario um that's <laughs> that's what i thought you'd go for um, it's this professor layton in that light tunnel his big freaked out little eyes <laughs> mario dying in bed um after rapidly aging um yeah, I think that. it was 2011. I think because it, it was 2011, like a Nintendo Odyssey. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I quite like that. That's um, yeah. That, yeah. I, I must admit that um, I had more affection for the PlayStation Magazine play I worked on uh, going through this process than I thought I did because a some of the covers I worked on originally, I um, had a few good memories of working on different cover features for them, reviews and stuff like that. But as an editor, it was the first magazine I actually, you know, was responsible for the covers. And so the first two or three, I mean, there's a lot of like nonsense hits on those covers. That was kind of the style I sort of inherited. And so I don't get particularly excited when I look at those. 
But I have in my um, covers from Heaven that we'll talk about included one from there that I remember thinking, this is the first cover I've made as an editor where I think, this looks good. And even though it has a bullshit render of a PS4 on it, which we'll get to in uh, the discussion, it's nonetheless something that conjured up a few happy memories. So that was my big revelation, is that I, I enjoyed periods of time that I um, I didn't think I enjoyed as much at the time. So it was uh, right. yeah, a bit of a nice sort of nostalgia trip there. It took some digging through um, Futures Archives, actually, to find a few of my, my covers. Um, again, I think this speaks to the fact that your lineage of uh, Nintendo magazines is very um, very well loved by uh, by Nintendo fans, and PlayStation mags don't tend to have the same sort of like fevered following, as it were. So, Matthew, should we kick off with? Uh, yeah, yeah. So first up, then in this section, we're going to discuss covers we didn't edit, but from when we were writers on the magazines. So we'll talk a bit about the covers themselves, and then we'll talk about some of the stories behind them too. It should be a should be a fun little section. So, mm. Matthew, we're going to kick off with one of mine, right? Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, so to uh, people listening, apologies if you hear occasional clicks on this one, but it's just simply so I can uh, see the covers in question. So, and if you hear metallic rustling, it's Rennie's. <laughs> yeah, or possibly some fruit pastels on my end. <laughs> um, so yes, first up is a cover of Play with Uncharted 2. And uh, Nathan Drake is there, hanging from a train, and it's mocked up to look like an old-timey poster. Matthew, what did you make of this one when you first saw it, assuming you're not eating a Rennie right now as I'm um, talking and you expected this monologue to go on a bit longer? <laughs> no, it's fine. Uh, I, re- I really like this. I-, I am big into, like, the let's commit to the game identity. Like, it's not something I ever did. Um, like, I never had... You know, I think you need a an art editor who's open to particular ideas. But I really like this one. I really like... Just the framing of it, the language of it, the look of it. Like, to me, it looks kind of authentically Uncharted-y, but it doesn't feel, like, cheap enough, which they it easily could if done wrong. I think this is a good cover. Yeah, this is one of my favourite play covers that we ever did. I was kind of really surprised by how it looks. So it's it mocks up this kind of um, uh, matinee-style sort of, you know, movie poster. Um, like an old style font and stuff like that and the image that matches of uh you know this very memorable set piece from the opening of uncharted 2 where drake wakes up in this um train that's been unmoored by like some kind of snowy mountain very memorable and uh the image looks great and it has kind of like these sort of mock uh you know cast listings and then a bit of developer stuff um uh, probably the only part that doesn't quite hold up is uh chloe fraser as the love interest i'm sure some people would take some in- uh, some <laughs> I, I, I was looking at the rather half-assed playstation o vision <laughs> at the end of the credits yeah that's true <laughs> eight thriller second pages um i mean that's that's odd as well because pages aren't really a unit of time <laughs> <laughs> we're getting into the um parsecs uh, millennium falcon argument there i think <laughs> um yeah this one was from i think it was from early 2009 and I wrote this cover feature, and this was, I remember my perception of the PS3, I was very down on the PS3 at launch, starting to change around this time. Uncharted 2 was, you know, by far the most anticipated game on uh, PlayStation 3, because the first one had been so good, and then the second one looked great. I don't re- I don't think we saw it before it was announced, but I think we saw some of the first gameplay ever, and the first part I remember them showing me was... I don't know if you remember the bus that drives after Drake down that collapsing kind of like uh, street. It's in the yeah, kind yeah. of war-torn streets near the start of the... Well, relatively near the start of the game. That was the first sequence we saw. And then Drake goes into this kind of like ruined kind of war zone where a fight's going on and walks through it. 
And it did seem incredible after being stuck in, you know, the one jungle and ruins that are um that make up the setting of Uncharted One. This game looked incredible. And mm. uh I saw that and it was combined with we didn't go to the studio or anything, but I interviewed uh, Amy Hedick and uh, Evan Wells uh, from Naughty Dog and a few of the other people, uh, Christoph Balestra and uh, Bruce Straley. So it's like four different interviews no. with um, the developers, which, you know, getting that kind of access to Naughty Dog now is pretty much unheard of. So, yeah, mm. it was a very different time. Yeah, it, it makes me uh, makes me cheerful looking at this one. This wasn't yeah, a bag, actually, so yeah. Yeah, it's good. I like that one of the cover hits on well, one of the part of the strap line under it is idiotic bungling, which is fun. Um, <laughs> this to me, this is like a cover an official mag can't do because this is where you run into like official branding issues. Mm. Like it's it's quite hard to like mess with you know official logos and things. Like we ran into this again and again doing Fish Nintendo. Um, so like it's fun, I think. You know, if an unofficial mag can't really go for this stuff, like who can? Yeah, yeah, it's very true. And uh, you'll see as well that there's kind of like these uh, creases that the designers put into the cover as well. And, you know, they obviously they're not real creases, but when you hold the magazine, it's a nice effect. So, yeah, mm. fun one to revisit. Um, thank you for your kind words. I didn't design or edit this one, but, um, you know, <laughs> those for the people who did, what a treat. So um, next up, Matthew, let's do one of yours. Okay, so this is a Endgamer cover with knights on the cover. I didn't pick this one because I particularly like the knights art. I mean, it's <laughs> it's it's like colourful enough, um, though. Looking at it now, I'm instantly irritated by knights' sort of invisible flute, which is just very much sort of the kind of irritating thing that a dreamy jester would play. Um, we didn't. This was kind of an odd one because it was in a period where. Like, we had come out, we was massive, but we also didn't have, you know, the first round of, like, really great Wii games. So the actual early issues of Endgamer, kind of, once the, once the actual launch is out of the way, you know, can't really rely on your Twilight Princess anymore. So it, I remember it being a little bit, like, some of those early covers are a little bit odd, some of the choices. So this isn't necessarily, like, a killer game. I mean, the promise that a Sega legend flies again, that's true. But why this game changes Wii forever? I don't really know um, <laughs> why it changes Wii forever. I wrote the cover feature on this, and that definitely wasn't like the pitch of the feature. Pitch of the feature was me basically greener going, you're writing about knights. And I'm like, I've never played knights. And then I had basically to school myself on something which I instantly disliked. Um, <laughs> uh, no offense to the knights fans, but it's like, it's such an acquired taste. And as uh, that that was basically my whole process with this issue. You were like, wow, this is a really acquired taste, this thing. I'm kind of surprised we're putting it on the cover. Um, but it was an exclusive and whatever. But what I like about this and what I like about the early issues of Endgamer, and I, I mentioned this on the first podcast, was like, this, um, the, for the first like 10 or so, the covers just really represented the flavor of the mag inside, particularly the side column, the sidebar. Um yeah which basically has, like, some of the big features. But they're all, like, quite bespoke, you know, fonts and visual approaches. You know, it's not, you know, as I went on, mags became a bit more kind of sort of simplified and streamlined. But these early issues of Endgamer, they're just quite hectic without seeming, I don't think, like, garish. Um, and it just, yeah, captures the flavour of it. I was really pleased with this because the first cover where... Like I felt like I'd had a direct influence on it because there's a hit for Super Mario Galaxy, 15 Things You Didn't Know, and above it are the words, Big Space Lips, <laughs> um, which is because 
I had uh, to do a feature on 15 things you didn't know, and I had 14 things, and I thought I could see something which looked like a pair of lips in space. And so the last entry in the feature is just like giant space lips. And and it and it's just a picture, a very blurry picture taken from a YouTube video of me. And, you know, just, it says, oh, I think these look like lips. Um, I don't know. I don't know how these are going to factor into the story, but let's keep an eye out on them. And I remember it really tickled Greener. And, you know, back then kind of like, you know, impressing, impressing my editor was like quite a key uh, part of the job for me so it was like oh wow i know this really registered with him because he ended up putting it on the cover these big space lips so it's a bit of a vain pick for that reason um but also there's other fun stuff you know how the handheld could change your life ds i think that was about touch generations it's a hit for the thousand dollar wii and eight other nintendo overdraft smashes um yeah it's just fun it's got galaxy on there it's got an exclusive game um, and it, the good thing about Knights as well is it's got the the sort of the sexiness and the pull of an exclusive, and it's only when you buy the mag um, and read the feature that you realise it's too late. Um, you <laughs> bought the mag and you're reading about Knights, um, so it's like really a, a winning strategy. <laughs> yeah. So I think that Sega were kind of big on the Wii, weren't they? They at least in the first half were very. Very much yeah. like a second party sort of um, developer in terms of how they, you know, how much stuff they brought to the system, making exclusive Sonic games and Knights and the uh, light gun shooters we discussed in previous episodes. Uh, yeah, and Knights was like, um, I think Knights was a bit of a flop, wasn't it? The uh, Wii one. Yeah, I, it wasn't. It wasn't very good. I mean, it's it's such a strange game to revive because it's like making a sequel to a proven cult classic mm. you know cult is in its state in the Wii. you know the mass appeal of it and i i can just remember like talking to him and thinking like what the hell is this game about you know it's so strange the the kind of pitch of it and and uh, you know i mentioned last week the the balan wonderworld stuff you know <laughs> similarly like i wonder like how did this happen you know what like who is this for who wanted this uh which is kind of how i felt about knights but uh, you know it's quite a nice bit of art um yeah, for those Weird keeping aside. for those keeping track of Matthew's grudges as well, he's found another way to bring up Yuji Naka. Um, so he's <laughs> moved. Naka was he wasn't yeah. actually involved in Knights on the Wii, mm, but you still managed I to think... dunk on original Knights, which is you know <laughs> you found a way. Basically, you know, life found a way. Matthew, I felt, I felt a bit bad after that last week because I was I was looking up Yuji Naka and like he's a producer. Like, he produces a lot of stuff. You know, the games that he makes, I'm not a big fan of. But he also produces... It's basically him and Nagoshi are kind of, like, the two producer guys at Sega for, like, the early to mid-noughties. But he's doing all the stuff I don't like. So Nagoshi's all, like, Super Monkey Ball, Yakuza, F-Zero, GX, all that jazz. Hmm. And he's... And old uh, Nakaman is basically... um, you know sonic sonic adventures and shadow the hedgehog and all that crap so um yeah just a run of it very much the richard kelly of uh, (laughs) game directors uh with the uh brackets with the exception of uh let's tap and uh let's catch but um (laughs) Yeah. yeah so i um i think that this um they could have uh 
probably solve the Knights problem a little bit by just putting the first game into that Wii game so people had both the new one and the old one but um, mm. I remember there being loads of boring sections where you played as a little kid in Knights and didn't have the Knights powers which is it's like basically look we've got an analog stick the game that's kind of what Knights is yeah um, yeah, sorry to all the Sega fans out there who have no doubt. Uh, trust, like you know, there's some Sega games we love. Like when we hit that Yakuza episode next week, oh, it's going to be heaven. I like this cover too. I like big space slips. It's got um, yeah, big Matt Castle energy, and uh, yeah, I think the um, how this handheld could change your life is uh, is really nice. Uh, this is my last question about this one before we move on. Is this the one where you had to guess from the E3 footage what was going on in Mario Galaxy and kind of figure out the level? No, this was this was uh, uh, maybe the issue after that. This was very much the you know. Well, we've done this once. You know, we need to get another. We need to get another Mario Galaxy feature out of this trailer. So it was a real like frame by frame breakdown. But the problem is that the the screenshots, the screen snaps, which was I think back then just me like print screening while watching YouTube, and then copying it into Paint or something. They're so low quality that you can't really see any of the things I'm talking about. And also, I think probably like a good 13 of the 15 things were like absolute nothing it was just such a it was such a nonsensical deep dive mm. um like i thought i saw a feather uh, there was like a particle effect that looked like a feather and i was like oh maybe it's going to be this like bird boss <laughs> <laughs> and it was like no <laughs> probably not i think that was one of them and then another of the entries was oh actually i don't think it's a feather it's probably from this dandelion so you can ignore that that point about the bird boss which was how desperate this feature was it cancelled itself out as it went along <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's um that sounds like working on a magazine to me um, <laughs> yeah so great stuff we'll move on to another one of mine then matthew so this is a kill zone 2 cover that we made for play magazine uh, i say we made i didn't make it again um it was a, a, an editor and an art editor at the time so it was quite bold like the um style of it is like a kind of computer sort of hud um crashing i remember the artwork being slightly strange like um i think the red eyes suggest it a little bit but the artwork doesn't immediately say kill zone um kill zone you kind of think of the daft space nazis that um yeah. make up that game and yeah i think it's um the hits get a little bit buried in this but the style of it i really love and the logo um what's interesting about this is we had a little sort of run on play where um the editor would try and get these different studios to put their own spin on play's logo because the play logo as people can see um as they're looking at the uh, pinterest where i put all these um is like kind of doesn't have much definition to it it's white um you can kind of change the color and stuff like that. So yeah, I was um, quite happy with this one. But at the same time, um, I wrote the um, cover feature for this one, and it was one of my best cover feature experiences. I went to see the game and play the game, both the single player and the multiplayer, uh, in 2008, and it was right. It was the day after um, Barack Obama was elected in the US. I remember waking up at 4:30 a.m. to get a flight to Amsterdam to see Guerrilla Games, and putting on the TV and a bomber had won. And it was like, oh, that's pretty cool. Um, and then being completely knackered for the entire day because I've been up, I went to bed at like midnight and woke up at 4.30. And so, uh, yeah, it was a fun uh, trip. But um, Matthew, what do you make of this, first of all? Yeah, I mean, this is what, this is wild. Like, there's so many words on this 
like hidden in the style of a kind of you know computer sort of scroll um yeah i yeah like i kind of like it I, I i do think it is like you really have to look at it to kind of pick out the hits mm. which is maybe like a flaw in a magazine that makes you work a little too hard um but you know as a we've got terrible art but the, we like the game or the game is valuable you know is is like a dilemma people hit over and over again you know you're like oh man we really want this but look at this yeah it's it's cool i yeah i've never seen this one before but like like the uncharted one i like it when mags try and kind of go a little wild and kind of you know play with the game a bit i guess it's hard to kind of like fun up killzone 2 too much just because it's so sort of self-serious yeah it's good i like it yeah, I think that um, this was another one that I think was in a bag as well and had a big um, Killzone logo on it. I think this might actually have been a clear bag so people could see on the shelves. But yeah, um, I reflect on this as like one of Play's more stylish covers, a bit non-traditional. So um, yeah, while I don't think it's a, like, um, you know, a, an amazing traditional one, I have um, have good memories of it. I do like the translucent cover effect that um, Gorilla added to the magazine, so that's cool. Mm. So uh, mm. yes. I like the... the, the... <laughs> After the main kind of cover line, we've got the logging off. Just sounds like, oh, I don't want anything to do with Killzone 2. <laughs> well, it's um, like, Hellgaster here, and you're like, oh, that's me logging off in Killzone 2. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, by the time you get to Street Fighter 4, I would have logged off, because I'm, um, <laughs> I'm not the biggest fighting game fan. And uh, I, all of my peers at the time were obsessed with Street Fighter 4. I remember that being like a big deal in our office. And, uh, yep, went completely over my head. I was... Um, about a year or two too late to really get into Street Fighter 2 when that came out. So, uh, yeah, never really engaged with the series. But um, nonetheless, yeah, a fun one. Like, the um, the trip was probably, uh, you know, probably the most notable part of this. Um, we got a, a tour around Amsterdam from Herman Hulst, who's now Sony's um, head of Worldwide oh. Studios. And, uh, yeah, and then we learned interesting stuff. They're in this beautiful townhouse by the river, Gorilla. I think they've moved offices since then. But they... Um, had to put a generator in the basement of their building because the um at the city of Amsterdam couldn't give them enough power for like all their dev kits or whatever. So um, mm. those are some interesting tidbits I learned from um, yeah. from that trip. But Killzone Two, oh. yeah, it's a good game. I went to Amsterdam on my honeymoon, and as part of it, we went to this uh, f- this famous sort of tulip garden called um, I think it's something like Kirkenhof, mm-hmm. and the idea is it's basically like a tulip theme park which sounds like something for Ace Attorney but it is real um and you go there but that 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 particular year the um spring was quite late coming in it was quite dreary um this was the end of March um three years ago and um so we got tickets to go to this 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 tulip world but we got there and like literally nothing had bloomed and because of that, it was just mud. It was just flower beds. And they all had little signs next to them called, like, this is called, you know, this, this you know, uh, tulip montage is called sort of, you know, Mysteries of the Orient or something. And it was just dirt, like, because nothing had grown yet. And they're like, oh, well, if you come next week when there's sun, like, it will probably have grown. You know, this theme park's only opened when the flowers grow. We thought they might have grown today, but they didn't, because apparently it can happen that they can bloom that fast. So there's all these pictures of me looking very, very unimpressed next to just 
big mud patches, right. which are, which will one day turn into like a tulip picture of like Paul McCartney. <laughs> like, <laughs> apparently, it's amazing when they grow, but when they don't grow, it is just a fi- it's just a dirt field. <laughs> yeah, it could just be like you know Ringo Starr, for all you know. I mean, uh, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. So that's that's, that's my Amsterdam memory. It's not as, not as fun as yours. <laughs> that's good. Um, I mean, I uh, yeah, I appreciate it nonetheless. Um, so, why don't you talk me through your next one, Matthew? Uh, sure, I am going to talk about this. Is a uh, an Endgamer Xenoblade Chronicles cover again was in a very hectic bag, which had some like full length Xenoblade character art, which actually isn't that nice. The actual character art doesn't look great in isolation. Um, so I'm just going to stick with this cover. Um, this one, I was just glad that we did it because that you know we we were big on import games, but we often didn't sort of we didn't take a punt on kind of a lot of Nintendo stuff that wasn't already proven. At this point, Xenoblade Chronicles was quite kind of... Uh, there was like a moderate amount of hype about it. Nintendo kept showing off sort of little video clips of it and images where it was kind of impossible to work out what it was going to be. Hmm. And you got the feeling that what they were promising was like way too ambitious for the Wii and it was probably going to be like very disappointing. And I think this cover was based off importing a Japanese copy and... It was just so, like, obviously amazing. And, you know, Xenoblade Chronicles went on to become, you know, one of my favourite games of all time. And it was this, this... I'm just really pleased that we got to do a cover and celebrate it, you know, something that we were genuinely really, really into. Um, I just really like the cover art on it. Um, it's very stripped back. I think this wallet had the infamous cover line... A lot of these, a lot of these Japanese RPGs were like announced only for Europe and mm. not for America, and there was like this big kind of campaign, and uh, about this, it was like Project Operation Rainfall, was that it? Operation Rainfall, that's it. And we used to get quite, I, I, I well, I say we, I, 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 I'm not a big fan of people who are like, we're going to boycott all this stuff until we get this this one game, and it was just very irritating, very nerdy. Um, kind of group of people and um, one of the cover lines on the wallet for this was um, like inside uh, Xenoblade Chronicles um, the game that's too good for America oh Um, (laughs) jeez which I thought was so funny because it was just um, like just purely like just just a, a completely unneeded dig. And lo and behold, like when that when someone took a wallet, a picture of that wallet and then sent it to one of these American sites, they all kicked off about it. It was just and everyone in the comments on these stories, if they were from like Europe or the UK, they were like, ha ha ha, that's Endgamer being Endgamer. And all these Americans were like, burn Endgamer. It was like, you know. You know, Salman Rushdie writing the Satanic Verses or something. <laughs> it's it exactly abs- the same. Yes, it was absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, um, yeah, and so I'm fond of it for that childish reason. I also like the art. I like the game. This was actually our like you wouldn't think like a bit of a bold choice to do this. This was our post E3 issue. So there was Skyward Sword, Super Mario 3D Land. Uh, and we use debut year, and this is this is what we went with. Um, mm. And yeah, the features are super great. This is my first E three, the first time I went to E three. So after all these years of like faking it, I actually got to go there and actually play the things and and write kind of authentic coverage, which was nice. Um, so yeah, like 
Trying to disturb a lot of happy memories from that one. Yeah, I uh, I really like this cover, and um, I think that the fact that you were doing you put Xenoblade on there so early uh, just sort of suggests that, like you say, even if you were being a bit safer at the time with the types of games you were putting on there, the fact that you took a punt on something that would end up being you know one of the most significant modern Nintendo you know series mm. is is really cool. Um, I can I uh, I think I vaguely recall that hit being discussed on the internet, like um, in the recesses of my memory. And, it it, uh, it, it yeah. may have been fr- it may have actually been from a later wallet. It may have been the review issue. I think it was maybe reviewed the game that's too good for America. <laughs> that is like such a spicy hit, and uh, like you say, a very <laughs> unnecessary dig. Um, <laughs> but um, I, I, uh, yeah, how could you not laugh though? That's great. That's great. Very cheeky. Uh, yeah, yeah, uh, it's great. You can still see, you can find the threads about it on like game FAQs of people kicking off. I sometimes look at it just to entertain myself and remember that I used to have like uh, like. The, the, the slightest hint of edge at one point yeah um, yeah like uh, the bad boy of nintendo matthew castle yeah um, <laughs> that's great the people on game feqs forums they definitely deserved it so uh yeah um how come skyward sword wasn't the cover of choice here is that because you'd already done it a bunch of times or you were going to do it a bunch more times yeah i think we were I, 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 I struggle to remember because there was quite nice art for both Skyward Sword and Mario 3D Land. This may have been a we don't do the same cover as O&M. Mm. That might have factored into it. Um, it was a good Skyward Sword because basically when I went to E3, what I discovered is that a Nintendo E3, you only see like a quarter of what everyone else sees because there was no games being made. So you basically just stay at the Nintendo stand and try and get as much time as them as possible. Mm. And the Skyward Sword demo timed out after 10 or 15 minutes. And it was like this dungeon from the game. And I just noticed that because a lot of people were picking it up, only getting to grips with the controls after like, you know, half their lot of time. And then they'd maybe make it through a couple of rooms. Even if you knew what you were doing, you really had to like cane that demo to get through it. And I basically just kept replaying it and replaying it until I could complete the whole demo you know, and see the whole demo through. Because that's, you know, the quote on here, we've played it more than anyone else. Like, I literally played that demo like 15 times on their stand until mm. I could get all the way through it. And then that was the structure of the preview. It was about, like, each run and how I got a little further each time and kind of what I learned about the game through that process. Um, yeah, cool. that Yeah, it was fun. I was, like, I felt like I used my time at E3 well. And even though the people on the Nintendo stand were like, oh, this fucking guy so <laughs> yeah i when um we get to june we'll do an e3 episode and talk a bit more about um about what going to e3 is yeah. like because uh yeah you and i have a lot of experience of that i um remember doing the same thing with um breath of the wild actually i think i played that demo twice and when i was there at e3 2013 i played every single track in the mario kart demo like twice because um yeah 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 like you say it loops but you can find more each time which is uh yeah, that's uh, no, that's cool. I um, yeah, I look forward to hearing more about your uh, E3 adventures, Matthew. So, next up is another one of mine. This is an Alan Wake cover on X360. Now, I don't think this cover is amazing. It's Alan Wake stood in front of the words Alan Wake. Um, you can't see his feet. <laughs> um, they've disappeared yes. into the mist, or possibly they've been sliced off by his enemies. We can't be sure. Um, but I, I tagged this because I wrote almost everything in this issue because. Um, I went to an event called 
X10. They used to do like X9, X09 and X08 and stuff like that. Microsoft used to have its own kind of like press event, basically. And um, this was the only one I went to. But in retrospect, I actually think that this was the last moment that Microsoft was really on top. So this event had Alan Wake. It had the first showing of Halo Reach. It had Fable 3 being firm, formally unveiled for the first time. Uh, Crackdown 2 was hands-on. And uh, yeah, there was. Um, I think there was a Forza game there. And then there was like um, Dead Rising 2 and like Perfect Dark uh, Remastered. And it was like, I remember thinking this is Microsoft at the top of its game. It's got like, you know, pretty much everything that anyone kind of wants from Microsoft was there in some capacity minus Gears of War. And it was right before Connect comes along. And just sort of like blows the doors off. So mm. not blows the doors off. That's a completely wrong phrase to use there. Um, oh yeah, that sounds good. Yeah, exactly. Um, Connect kicks was, the doors in. Yeah, <laughs> um, slams the door yeah, exactly. as, as it as it rages out onto onto the town. Yeah, um, destroys the door with some kind of winch and um, and says, "Excuse me, I'm Connect." So, Connect was um, obviously um, a big disappointment. It did sell quite well, but it um, shifted Microsoft's focus elsewhere. And uh, it's probably fair to say it ultimately ended up with them bungling the um, early days of the Xbox One because they took their eye off the ball and stopped making games that um, people who play games actually wanted to play. So, you know, a big fail all round that they're still trying to course correct. So, this was a flip cover with Crackdown 2, actually. I couldn't find the flip cover. But um, yeah, I just thought this was a big moment in uh, Microsoft history. And uh, even though I don't think the cover's that interesting, Matthew, there's some nice birds in front of the logo. Oh, I, I like I like the birds. Were, there was a Batman cover which had a similar thing with bats, right? Yeah, well, on uh, X360, you mean? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's possible it's just the same effects used twice. Um, <laughs> wait, wait, are these bats or are these crows? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't even remember. Were there birds in uh, Alan Wake? I genuinely don't remember. But um, Yeah, there probably were. He was in a forest. That's where birds live. Yeah, I actually saw a, um, a rumour just before we started uh, recording this that um, Alan Wake 2 is the uh, might be the game that Remedy is making for Epic Games. So I guess we'll see on that front. But um Nonetheless, Ooh, I, hope, I hope this art editor kept on to his uh, bird JPEG. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I hope he still kept the air. Yeah, I hope he still got it in uh, PNG form if uh, you ever need to break <laughs> it out. Um, so, yeah, I thought the uh, array of hits here was just quite exciting, though. Like Lost Planet 2, Crackdown 2, Halo Reach, Fable 3, Alan Wake. That's just, you've even got like, um, you know, Red Dead Redemption down there and Fallout New Vegas. Like, uh, this is a more exciting time in games than the moment we're in now, I would argue. So, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I remember like, you know, mainly because we sat next to Xbox World 360. Like there was just a, a period where it felt like it, you know they were just the, the you know the, the only game in town kind of thing. Yeah, you know, everything everything massive was at their E3 conferences. There was just so much buzz. They had that absolutely like amazing 2007 to 2009. Just just an unbelievably fun time. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, it's good. I like this cover. Yeah, they'll get there again someday, hopefully. But um, yeah, I have good memories of this one. Like uh, that was it. They, Microsoft gave you really good access as well. Like you spoke to Bungie, and it was the only time I met um, Sam Lake from Remedy as well, Mister um, Max Payne face. So uh, yeah, good times. And uh, yeah, why don't you talk me through your next one, Matthew? So this next one is an official Nintendo magazine cover. This is when I was associate editor and Chandra was editor in chief. So Chandra. Um, put this one together. Um, obviously, I was involved in the process, but I, I can't take kind of credit for it. Uh, this is a classic 
let's try and make a cover out of something we haven't really got, which is they've just done a Nintendo Direct and announced Wind Waker and uh, a Link Between Worlds, uh, which wasn't called a Link Between Worlds. It, they just announced we're work, working on a sequel to A Link to the Past. So it hadn't actually got a name yet, which is why I think it's this quite vague The Legend of Zelda Returns hit rather than anything in particular, like Link reawakens on 3DS and Wii U, because we didn't really want to run with a Wind Waker HD cover, because, you know, it just, while cool, it it felt a little old hat. So we just tried to make this sort of big Zelda feature and turn it into a bit of a Zelda special. What I liked about this one, like, I just thought the art team did a quite nice job on it. I mean, kind of, they took the kind of classic logo, but then they also did a bit of their own kind of, um, I don't know where these these images, this sort of a ocarina and a sort of harp that are on there, and I'm, I, I'm not entirely sure if, if they're, like, official art or they drew them themselves. Um, this cover was matte, didn't have a shiny gloss on it, which was weird, because, like... On the whole, I always preferred the matte covers. I always felt they felt classy. So, the, you know, the gloss was the standard. It didn't cost anything extra to take it off. You know, it was just like a thing you could do. Um, but it kind of gave it like a, a slightly kind of tome-like sort of leathery feel, um, which really suited the art and the image on it. I like the little Pikmin kind of wandering in. I'm just a big fan of the rock Pikmin because he just... He's got, like, very big me energy. Um, I, I, I look into those eyes and I just I see, like, a lot of my own soul in those eyes. Um, it's very much how I felt working on O&M. While, I guess, in this metaphor, like, Joe and Kate have the raspberry. I don't know. Um, but uh, In no way is that tortured. <laughs> they're the staff writers carrying all the juicy fruit of the mag. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah, I just like that. I like the little link pulling at the logo at the top, the little link sprite from a link between uh, link to the past. That was cool. I mm. mean, unfortunately, it's slightly spoiled by there being a Sonic <laughs> kit on there. Um, Sonic Trilogy, three amazing new games on Wii U and 3DS. Mm. I bet all three, three amazing. Ga- I don't know if any of them are amazing. None of them. Three Sonic games. Yeah, um, I remember two of them. So two of them were Sonic Lost World, and there was a different 3DS version to the Wii version. And I reviewed both those for Games TM, but the 3DS one was particularly shit, um, is my memory. Yeah. And then there might have been one other bad like 3D Sonic game that they were making at the same time. But um, yeah, that's my best memory of that. Uh, but yeah, here's Sonic to gave, ruin I another. Actually, yeah. I actually gave Sonic Lost World like a good review. I went mad. Like I know I give it all this big talk about Sonic on here, but actually when it when like push came to shove, I I like gave him quite a generous review just because the music was like Mario Galaxy and it had a level set on giant fruit, which I was really into. And I don't remember I can remember like Joe thinking this was mad as well. He was like, What's wrong with you? Why have you scored this as high as you've scored it? Like I may have even given it like an eighty. <laughs> Well, um, again, it was the time, but, right? It was like, you know, it was something you could play on your Wii U, you couldn't play elsewhere. Yeah, I don't know. I just love the music. I really, like, I, I stand by it. Sonic Lost World soundtrack is not as good, but it's got big Galaxy energy. And anything which reminded me of Galaxy, like, instantly gets, like, a tick. Um, I'm such a sucker for just a big trumpet. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but that's all the game needs. And I'm like, I'm in. Like, I'm into, like, the tune of 7 out of 10 straight off the bat. <laughs> Um, so uh yeah 
That's terrible. I maybe we'll do an episode where we like let's let's get into this this psychology around Sonic. Cause there's something there, or maybe oh. I should just save it for therapy. No, no um, we should do we should do like the best Sonic games, and you and I have to mutually agree the list. That would be a good episode. We should totally do that because <laughs> yeah. um, they're not all uh, bad. The, the Nintendo ones are not all bad. Sonic Colors on the 3DS, I recall. Sorry, on the DS, I recall being uh, all right several years before this. So. um yeah, yeah, I'm pretty sure because Sonic, Sonic was like massive. I mean, this is for another time, but it was always massive. Like, I'm pretty sure like one of the best ever selling issues of, of official Nintendo was um, Sonic Unleashed, the one where he turns into a werewolf. Yeah, or a werehog. Sorry. Um, yep. yep, half good levels, half terrible levels. That was the pitch of that yeah. game. Yeah, um, but that was like yeah. So uh, well, we'll get into that in in the eventual Sonic episode. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. This I I, I thought this was a, a about a, a good an attempt to make a cover out of nothing, as as I've seen. Like there was no art for the games. That was the other thing. Like there was just you know they'd just been announced on Nintendo Direct, so you know there wasn't cover art yet for for any of these things. That was that was a big problem on particularly on O and M when we got into the when they were doing more Nintendo Directs. Like they just they just wouldn't put out the you know cover assets because why would they? Mm. Um, but you did get those at E3, so yeah, this was a, a valid attempt, I think. Yeah, that is tough because um, they, there was eventually some very nice uh, cover art for um, the uh, Wind Waker HD version. But uh, mm. yeah, such as it is. Um, what did you make of the Wario game at the time? This is my last question about this one. Was um, uh, that a bit disappointing? Uh, that one? There was a big disappointment. It was the um, oh, I can never remember its name. Game and Wario. Game and Wario. That was it. It was just kind of like, it was just very like stingy and intense. It felt like something that could have been a pack-in. It wasn't like classic WarioWare. It was like some bad WarioWare mini-games. Um, it's got the one quite good game where you're basically playing WarioWare on your Wii U and then you have to put the controller down when your scary mum sticks her head in the door to make sure you're in bed. And it's it's kind of like weird horror vibe to it. Like the mum is, she's got like light torch beams coming out of her eyes. Mm. Um, a bit like that scary guy in Ghostbusters 2 who steals <laughs> the baby. Um, so like it really, it's actually like quite a shocking work of horror. Um, <laughs> it's up there with like hereditary for me. <laughs> um, People but it's, will... it's like hereditary meets WarioWare. People will best know that um, that level from Smash Bros, right? It's a Smash Bros um, Oh, that's level. right. Yeah, of course. Yeah. I knew, yeah, it had some nice ideas, but it was just like 50 quid for something which was over in a, you know, matter of matter of minutes, really. Yeah. First review of Wario's crazy Wii U outing. <laughs> wow. That sounds, uh, sounds pretty zany. And uh, yeah, the uh, rock Pikmin here, his expression is uh, my expression looking at that cover line. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, so yes, um, that, Matthew, that finishes this part of the episode, and uh, after we take a brief break, we'll come back and talk about more covers that we edited from heaven this time. Matthew, welcome back to the year 2013. Oh God, have you got a cover ready to go uh, to go to press next week? Uh, what's going to oh, happen God. next? Oh, what a shock! I've, I've instantly just come out in a cold sweat. Uh, <laughs> the idea of it, and and you're and you're naked, and you're taking a driving test. I mean, you know. Oh no. Yeah. Um, 
Wake up. And I from failed my driving test because I was trying to open our magazine cover Pinterest <laughs> while driving, which you shouldn't do. Yeah. Um, uh, Matthew failed his test because he kept trying to throw blue shells at the car in front of him. And uh, it's the only way, it's the only driving he knows. Um, That's true. But yeah. So uh, <laughs> in this half, then, we're going to talk about uh, games covers that we edited. It'll largely be like the um, Games Magazine covers from Hell, but there'll be a slightly more positive bent with the occasional um, slamming of a, of a, <laughs> a lame-ass cover line here or there. Um, <laughs> and believe me, there are plenty of them. So... Let's kick off with one of mine, Matthew. Yeah. So the first one here is um, issue 228 of Play Magazine. It has Lightning Returns on the cover. Uh, at this point, I think I'd been on Play for about three or four months. And I um, was essentially, it was me and one other writer. And this was kind of like my proving ground to eventually become editor of Games GM, which was um, probably up there with Retro Gamer as like one of the more prestigious games titles that Imagine had at that point. Mm. So... Yeah, so in this case, I picked this cover because I don't think Lightning Returns is that exciting. In fact, I think it very clearly illustrates where PS3 was at the time, which was, as I've mentioned on previous episodes, the end of the PS3 era was just kind of grim. There was like a God of War Ascension, and then basically nothing to put on the cover but Assassin's Creed games. Like every seven months, there would be like a new Assassin's Creed on the cover somehow. (laughs) And um, it's a bit depressing, especially because this is like Assassin's Creed 3 time, so... um, you know, largely considered the low point in the series. Although, uh, obviously, Black Flag would be very good. But, um, yeah, so this cover has one extremely, like, um, naff element that I want to cop to straight away, which is PS4 games revealed as, like, the main hit. And uh, we were right. Dragon Age 3 and um, Battlefield 4 were, like, the first PS4 games. It was pretty obvious they were from their first showings that made them look extremely pretty, far too pretty for the um, PS3. So there's that, but that's not so egregious. But then there's like a, a fake render of a PS4 there. Um, right. It looked like a kind of a big dinner tray console. I think. What imagine, was it based on? I don't know. I I feel like this might have been commissioned as like original art for a cover of Games TM, and then we maybe like just used it in a kind of cover hit to go alongside. Um, but yeah, like, why do you think it looks better than the the actual PlayStation Four? That's a bit. That's a bit kind. I think it looks. <laughs> it looks more like the um, <laughs> one of those bootleg uh, consoles from like the early noughties, where it's like it has five thousand games on it, and it has like t- one, one launch party I- with like Russian gangsters, and then it's like gone. <laughs> do you know what I mean? I tell you what, though, you can see where the button is on it. That's a bit, That's a plus. That is very true. And like, uh, be- that's the big problem with the PlayStation consoles. I can't find any of the buttons. Like, <laughs> even after using them for years, I have to like run my hands over the whole thing. It's a bit like one of those animations in the reboot of Thief. I have to run my hands the full length of the console before I can find the secret button. Yeah. I get the impression that the reason they didn't do that again, that kind of weird hover your finger over the thing button, is because loads of people had like a self-ejecting PS4 error. And on the PS5, they were just like, fuck it, here's a button that gets the fucking disc out. Um, mm. And fair play. But uh, yeah, uh, so yeah, so I, I kind of want to spotlight this because talking about games consoles before they've actually been like formally revealed is something you kind of have to do to kind of like, you know, it's something that your readers are interested in. Obviously, at this point, the um, PS3 was uh, around six years old, so people were expecting something new to come along. And you have to kind of tap into that and try and like stoke interest in it based on very limited information. And um, I really burned out on doing that with Play. I think I got really sick of writing about the PS4. Um, <laughs> although it would have like a nice reveal a bit later on that made it a lot easier to um, to discuss, especially versus like the um, 
Xbox One, with the reveal of which was famously a bit of a disaster. And uh, yeah, I like this cover because um, it was the first cover I got back and thought it was like genuinely good. So uh, Lightning Returns, not that exciting a game, but the artwork here is really nice. We put on a red background, which I think is quite striking. Um, mm. I think we might have had a matte finish um, behind like, uh, I think we had like kind of like a glossy effect on the Lightning Returns Final Fantasy bit and the hits. And then right. the um, background is um, is matte. So it actually looks, mm. um, it looks really nice on the shelves. So uh, yeah, what do you think of this one? Yeah, I like it. I mean, you, you run into that challenge of like your main cover line is quite small in the world exclusive first look. Mm, like, yeah. But it's, I don't know why I'm being that nitpicky. Well, uh, I mean, I can't change it if that's what you're hoping for. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I don't approve it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you have to send this back to the art designer. Um, yeah, I think um, that... I think that the um, problem is that Square Enix insisted on putting loads of words in the title of the game, and so there's no room for a hit, basically. Oh, that is difficult when they when they do that. Yeah. That's why you just want a nice short game. Or a game with like lots of short words so it can stack in a tower. That's what I like. <laughs> a, a good tower title. <laughs> Lightning Returns. So yeah, that's a, that's a pisser, that one. Um, I like Vita one year later, because it's, it's, it's got a big, like, something terrible happened energy. <laughs> you know, it's like 28... 28- Month, weeks later it's like vita one year later we talked to the survivors <laughs> <laughs> yeah i think it was a bit like that though with the ps vita it was like oh well <laughs> i think the crux of the feature was nobody bought this so um yeah. but some nice indie devs are making some good games for it so uh that'll be good um that's we've spent the whole year rubbing nathan drake's trousers dry on the back touchpad <laughs> and now it is time <laughs> to look to the future yep indeed uh yep grand theft auto 5 uh new info i like this easy trophy guide uh thing like platinum ps3's easiest games that's actually quite a good hit for a um yeah for something that i would um generally find nightmarish to try and sell on a cover the tips and um and stuff um whereas these days obviously you just research the term on google trends and then put it in the title of your uh your headline um, yeah but uh yeah so yes uh, any more to add on this one matthew or should we move on to one of yours Let's, let's, let's move on. I like it. Good, good. Yeah, there you go. Reluctantly approved by uh, Matt Castle. Um, <laughs> so what's your next one? Uh, so this this one I've actually picked is the first ever cover I did uh, as as outright editor of O&M. So Chandra had left. Um, this was my yeah first one. Kind of lucked out a bit in that uh, we finally had some like Mario Kart art. So... Um, we hadn't run Mario Kart up to this point. Like, we'd had lots of little flashes, and it had been revealed at E3 the year before, which is Mario Kart 8, so obviously a lot of buzz for it, but I just had this... Yeah, I don't really know why we sat on this art or whether it only arrived at a certain point. It was, as you can sort of tell from the from the, the kind of the hits under the Mario Kart, it's another slightly cobbled-together cover. Like, I don't think we'd seen more Mario Kart at all. I think we'd probably had more access to the... Um, demo again so you know we shoved in mario's greatest tr- uh, tracks so that was like a retrospective of all the games um history of mario kart don't know what that is mario kart's highway code which i think was a joe scrabble's comedy special um classic you know what would the highway guy uh what would the highway code be like if um it was all mario it's gold <laughs> yeah um one of those features on, you can never I'll, translate i've got it here let me i'll read one out oh it was done as a quiz actually it was the Mario Kart driving theory test. Nice. You encounter... So see if you can answer this one. 
You encounter strangely dressed babies driving tiny cars. What is the best course of action? A. Accelerate. Force yourself to believe you saw nothing. Get home and have a lie down. Repress all the memories of this day. B. Beep frantically. C. Use the fantasy squid creature you picked up from the shimmering box to blind them with ink, sending them spinning helplessly into a nearby abyss, never to know adulthood. <laughs> you can tell this is, um, you know, the future author of uh, the spicy prestige memes account on Instagram <laughs> at work. And finally, uh, D, against the advice of the law, quickly take a picture using your smartphone and reap the rewards on Twitter. So there you go. That's absolutely, that is classic scripts. That. Yeah. Uh, it's got a joke about murdering babies in it, which is good official Nintendo. <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> this was also the issue where we had the alternative, the official Nintendo magazine alternative awards, uh, which I think we'd ripped off because Edge, you know, the Edge used to do their end of year awards, and then mm. they always had like a funny page of awards at the end, yeah, where it was like weirdest beard or whatever. I think you're being a this bit reductive a- there, but sure. Well, yeah, it's good. That's listen. I'm not smart enough to write for them, so I couldn't. I couldn't parody it if I tried. But we had uh, we had some good awards. We had an award for the glummest Scott, which was the uh, Scottish hero of Mirror Fate. And just just glancing over it now, I can see it's full of Ken Loach gags, which is great. Yeah, just what you want to see in official Nintendo magazine. Good stuff. One of the awards is best amputee. <laughs> Oh, well, uh, think I stood the test of time, Matthew? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I oh, God knows. Listen, the weirdest thing about going back over old L&M's is it's actually got, like, some surprisingly mad shit in it. Um, yeah, when you tell me about it, it's like you couldn't help but have the end gamer sort of attitude spill over into it. Maybe that's just, like, inevitable from having your influence on it. Maybe, maybe. I think it, it was just, like... We we hired people with that kind of vibe, so Screbs and um, Kate Gray like just naturally fit into that. But back to the cover, Maricart art does a lot of the heavy lifting here. I was always a little worried that like the art's kind of strange in that there's nothing really in the middle of it, which I, which I was always quite paranoid about. Like everyone sort of Mario's driving into the screen, he's quite small for like the main image. Mm. It almost looks like it's wrong in a way, but. What can you do? Yeah, I suppose you could have zoomed in on him and then, like, you know, oh, I mean, you could have adjusted the angle of the art, but then that kind of defeats the point of him being on a little gravity car. Yeah, really. um, I think, I think, like, looking at this now, I, I remember being a little stressed out about it. Like, are we using this art right? It, you know, does this look strange? Is You know, are people's eyes drawn to, like, Peach's weird castle in the background instead of Mario? I don't know. I also like that the Kirby Triple Deluxe hit is he sucks, but his game doesn't. Uh, <laughs> I think that's a good uh, um, Yeah, yeah, it's all right. Yeah, what yeah, I like it's all is right for a first attempt. <laughs> yeah, I do like that this is Kirby Triple Deluxe's uh, second appearance on these cover podcasts, um, which again is just a lot about <laughs> Nintendo, circa 2013, 2014. But yeah, that's a very nice cover, yeah. Matthew. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's pretty. Ju- yeah, Hyrule Warriors, Zelda plus ludicrous guitar solos equals best game ever. It equals us a very solid seven out of ten. Hey, it's one of Catherine's favourite games, as we established. On, uh... <laughs> yeah, we went really big on that in the mag because I think Joe was a big Dynasty Warriors nut as well. So yeah, we ended up doing a lot of that. Yeah, with his permission, it would be cool to put that highway uh, code thing on um, on the Twitter feed. Um, so uh, yeah, maybe we can bu- give Joe a buzz and see if he's up for that. And uh, yeah. Yeah, just so it's not lost to time. 
And uh, <laughs> yeah, so next up, Matthew, is one of mine. This is an Overwatch cover that ran on PC Gamer. So the one thing you can't get from looking at this image is that the orange text for Overwatch disappears into um, Tracer's leg here. And um, obviously on the shelves, that would look a bit weird. But that orange was actually like a fluorescent orange. So it um, yeah. it looked really nice and it really popped. And uh, my memory of this is that it was right at the tail end of 2014, which is my first year on PC Game. And I remember it being a really hard year to find covers because a lot of the big traditional big PC stuff wasn't really in season. So Total War wasn't really around, for example. You know, there wasn't like a Relic RTS around. There wasn't really an MMO. MMOs were dying at this point. They were kind of like a a real staple of PC gaming and uh, PC gamer covers. So, uh, yeah, it was a bit of a tough one. But Overwatch, I remember taking a punt on. It was BlizzCon. We sent uh, Tom Senior on um, on the team to BlizzCon that year, and I was kind of aware that something new and big was coming. I think I'd been like not debriefed on what it was, but been told that something big was happening. And I kind of like remember sitting at Bristol train station, um, going to see my ex girlfriend, looking at my phone, and kind of waiting for what the big reveal was going to be at BlizzCon that evening on a Friday, and. Uh, it was this, you know, really unusual kind of hero shooter, but um, it, it it rode a wave of such massive buzz. Blizzard announced it and had it playable at the same time at this BlizzCon. And it was, as this cover says, their first new universe in 17 years. So obviously mm. it's the Warcraft, Starcraft people making something new. And this was the first time, I don't think it was on another cover for quite a while after this, and I think we had an interview as well. So there's an interview and hands-on, like a really good combination of access. And it was about something new and exciting. And um, yeah, this was a, a successful cover, if I recall. What do you make of this one, Matthew? Yeah, it's, it's, it's one of these weird games where you look at it now and you're like, it's so big, it makes perfect sense. But they're always a gamble at the start. Um, particularly games which are going after like an online kind of e-sporty kind of energy. Because I, I was, whenever anything like that crossed my desk on OXM, I was always filled with the fear of like, is this game aimed at people who don't like magazines? Like I, I never really knew what to do with online shooters. Um, but like this is such a the story at this point is such a PC gamer story. Like like you say that that the whole it's Blizzard, you know, Blizzard are like the definitive PC developer, arguably. And it's their first new thing. Like, it's such a big deal. Yeah, it all makes makes perfect sense. Um, and it got a nice big best games of 2014, which everyone always likes. Yep, that was also fluorescent orange on the uh, on the cover at the time. So that really popped. And uh, yeah, actually had an amazing free gift with this one too, which is some free Alien Isolation DLC. So yeah, um, yeah. and uh, a making of Alien Isolation. You can see a little... Uh, a little character down there. A tiny Sigourney Weaver about to be crushed um, by uh, Tracer's foot. In fact, it kind of looks <laughs> yeah. like Sigourney Weaver plus foot equals, I don't know, because um, <laughs> there's a little plus yeah. sign there. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's quite abstract, isn't it, now I look at it? Yeah. Um, I also quite like the cover line in the Extra Life box of the ever-satisfying grind of Epic's Gears of War. 
Yeah, I think uh, I don't remember what that was even about. I think that might have been a <laughs> retrospective on the original Gears. That was like ever satisfying. You don't see that combination of words on a cover that often. Well, it must have been okay because um, Tony Ellis let me put it on there. And if it was nonsense, he would have told me it was nonsense. So uh, that was a good part <laughs> of working with Tony. I'll tell you what, actually, when we redesigned PC Gamer, I th- we did get rid of the extra life hit. And I actually kind of missed it. It was a really good way to sort of stack up the um, the different hits in the magazine. The extra life section, for people who don't know, it was like the um, back section of the magazine. It had like a retrospective, what people are playing right now, uh, little how-to guides, your typical end of the magazine sort of stuff. But um, yeah, I was, uh, yeah, I, I, I really love this cover. And it was, uh, well, yeah, one of the first major ones that I was proud of on PC Gamer. So mm. um, hit me with your next one, Matthew. Very nice. So my next one is... Professor Layton, Ace Attorney versus Professor Layton. Was it Professor Layton versus Ace Attorney? I always get it confused. It's, you know, the game I'm talking about. It's the one with Ace Attorney and Professor Layton. Oh, it's in fact, it says it on the cover. <laughs> That's helpful, isn't it? <laughs> it's Professor Layton versus Phoenix Wright, Ace Attorney, of course. <laughs> Lawyer now Man versus Beige of, Tube. Of, people are like, maybe I understand why all these mags get closing under this guy. <laughs> he's, he's an idiot. You can't read the game name of the thing in front of him. Um... This was, I mean, the only reason this is on here is, the only reason I picked this is I was just so thrilled that at some point I got to do an Ace Attorney cover because that was just, like, never in contention for anything at any other time. Like, you know, as beloved as it is, it is a, uh, it's it's so niche. But this was like a Nintendo-backed game. If Nintendo were, like, had a hand in it, then, you know, basically... It was, you know, you could put it on the cover of of O and M. Was the sort of the logic? I love this art. It's the only art where infamous beige tube Professor Layton, <laughs> like, has any kind of shape or or like energy to him because he's pointing just like um, Phoenix Wright. I just, yeah, I really, really like the art on this. I mean, move over Sherlock. As we talked before, I did a lot of move-over lines. So, it's like a terrible cliche that I relied on. I was always telling people to move over. Sherlock was big at the time. I should say, this was when Benedict Cumberbatch's Sherlock was like big on TV. It's the final verdict on the smartest game on Nintendo 3DS. Just a pure vanity cover for me. just wanted to do something I really liked. The issue inside has got... It's uh, got like a, a really big... Uh, interview with Shutakumi, which I've mentioned before. It was like the second po- the second one that we did. Um, it had a, a really fun feature about who are the who was the best crime fighter on Nintendo, which Alex Dale wrote for us, freelancer, um, which was like a like a knockout tournament of all these different like it was like Professor Layton versus uh Carl Hyde from you know, Hotel Dusk and things like that. That was really fun. Again, slightly soured by Sonic Boom being there. <laughs> He's back. My co- <laughs> it's a theme with my covers. <laughs> Things I really like, and then also Sonic. <laughs> uh, but that's because when I took over the job, I was told Sonic Unleashed was one of the best ever performing covers. So of course I was going to keep sticking Sonic on there. Kids like Sonic, apparently. Teenagers like Sonic. Um, yeah. The idea that Sonic would share a cover with these two legends is just is so wrong. Hey, not just um, any Sonic, but Sonic with a small neckerchief. Um, yeah, I think you'll find well, that this makes is a big the Sonic, difference. which was like the Uncharted game, apparently. Yeah, I'm surprised. I was going to say that. Like, um, I've uh, on these covers so far, I've not seen a single. Um, it's Uncharted meets, uh, you know, 
Sonic or a beige tube or Bayonetta or something like that. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, for shame, I say. But um, No, there is probably the weakest cover line of all time, though, which is Bayonetta 2 plus Monoliths X, which was Xenoblade Chronicles X, but wasn't called that. It was just called X at that point, um, which is incredible Wii U shots will melt your eyes. Melt your eyes. What is this? That's terrible. <laughs> That's like... I'm amazed that anyone let me put that on there. Yeah. I'm, the, the fact that they didn't call it anything for a long time, though, was um, probably quite frustrating from an editor point of view. Well, mon- um, <laughs> Monolith X sounds, like, wrong. It just doesn't sound like a game or something you, sh- you should be, like, recommending to teenagers. It's just sort of sinister-sounding. <laughs> yeah. Um, I like how you've got the twin red boxes of Vroom and Swoon as well. Um, <laughs> that's good. That's a, that's a little bit of... Uh, a little bit of castle magic. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, you know, it's just a, a combination of heroes I really like. Uh, the subscriber cover gets rid of all the hits, so it's just a nice art and it looks really nice. I think we put it on poster as well. Um, oh, that's a great... I really, really like that game. That's a really lovely That's a really lovely uh, image. I think, like you say, I think the fact that they've had to contextualise um, Professor Layton next to Felix Wright, a normally proportioned man, means that his... Um, Beige tubeness has been downsized slightly for um, promotional purposes. Um, yeah, it's, it's it's still odd the idea that like characters with actual eyes would meet this man with basically just sort of pinprick holes in his skin, <laughs> and they'd be fine with him. But you know, what can you do? Take it up with Capcom and Level Five. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, that's a, that's a lovely cover. And he's, of course, he's still got his little potato son there, um, Luke. Uh, <laughs> He's not actually a son, I know that, but, um, you know, his travelling companion. And we won't make any more lewd jokes, that, uh, lewd or obvious jokes around that <laughs> subject. My next cover, Matthew, is Hitman. So this was 2015. This is our E3 cover. Uh, you can see here that, like, um, all of the E3 sort of, like, uh, touches apply. You've got a big hit top left. Fallout 4 was the big game of that year. It was revealed by Bethesda, and it looked amazing. The uh, E3 presentation of Fallout 4 was one of the best reveals, I think, of a of a game. Oh, but... They are really good at them. Like, whatever you think about Bethesda, I think the reason people are always disappointed is because they do such a good job of getting you excited with that first reveal. Mm. Yeah, the way they um, would show off the different features by cutting between gameplay from different parts of the map was um, yeah. really impressive. And so it was good because it gave you, like, a, a lot to chew on for... Um, coverage so yep got that in there but uh the big deal here was that hitman had finally been revealed what was the one that everyone hated absolution we had absolution um, in the years before this 2012 so it'd been a long time at this point uh like close to a decade in fact since uh there was a traditional hitman game and this is obviously the start of the um world of assassination trilogy that would culminate in this year's hitman 3 and uh, they showed it off with the um paris level that looked beautiful it took a bit of uh, quite. It was quite hard work to pass. I would say that like one of the reasons that Hitman's episodic um, rollout wasn't entirely successful is that I think they did a bad job of explaining exactly what they were doing with it. So straight away, people didn't entirely understand what they were buying. Mm. But I think this is a lovely cover. Just a classic shot of uh, Agent Forty Seven on a on a basically a blank background. I think there might have been some kind of like textured kind of color image he was on. And uh, yeah, we've got a nice big 20 best detective games hit there too, from L.A. Noir to Discworld Noir. 
um, which for one second I absolutely panicked that we'd misspelled one of those and was about to freak out about a cover that went to press six years ago. <laughs> um, and of course, Mice Rated, which is a very exciting hit. Um, what do you uh, what do you make of the cover otherwise, Matthew? Yeah, I like this one. I mean, I, I, I think it works particularly well going quite kind of like minimalist with Hitman because that's like Agent 47's thing. You know, I think when you see that character actually like on the the, the quite sparse background and the the quite clean hits it's it's nice he's a he's a really useful character in that he's um he's quite easy to put words on top of him because he's so dark in that suit um i dread art which is impossible to put stuff on top of yeah if i was making a games master cover with this art um, there would be like a little Splatoon dude next to his head and then like <laughs> Mario <laughs> driving a car over him and then like Donkey Kong throwing a barrel at him. You know what I mean? I, I'd have some Pikmin putting that raspberry in his ear. Uh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so the other thing about this cover is that it was the E3 cover. I was at this E3 and I wrote this cover feature. And I wrote it in about five hours um six or eight six to eight page feature i don't remember which and um you know this is where like having amazing team back home of uh, editors uh really helps when you're making a magazine because it was e3 and then for some reason every year the e3 deadline would be like the second day or the first full day of e3 you're trying to cram stuff in in this very tight period of time i wrote this straight after we did the first ever PC gaming show at E3. So PC gaming show, I'm sure a lot of people know what it is. It's like PC gamers kind of curated uh, E3 presentation. And, you know, I played um, I played a bit of a part in bringing it to life, which was, you know, a cool thing to have my name to. And I was kind of on a... I was a bit wired off the back of it because um, I do remember being very proud that I played a small role in this uh, amazing thing that had rolled out. But I um, could only get artwork straight after that show. So this cover was designed in like probably half a day, something like that. And then I had to write the cover feature the same night. And I remember getting slightly drunk at our party after the um, after the show and then writing this like 2000 words and then like passing out for three hours, then going back to E3. That was um, my memory of making this issue. So uh, does that all sound familiar to you, Matthew? Yeah, very, very stressful. Um, (laughs) I think I had to do a... The worst I had of that was I, I did a Gamescom where I was sending the mag or, for, or finishing off the final bits and I happened to be share. I think I was sharing a, like an Airbnb with a load of other future people and I think I was the only person who was on a magazine deadline in the group, hmm. which is always a recipe for disaster because you're trying to like write stuff in your Airbnb. <laughs> you don't want to be the guy who's like, keep it down, uh, but that's me. Yeah. Also, I shared a room with, the, I won't say who, but the worst snorer. I mean, like, I don't think, I have no idea how this person made the noises they made in their sleep. <laughs> but it was it was powerful. Yeah. Um, yeah, so uh, good stuff there. Some nice insights. <laughs> so either, yeah, either you have a room with someone who snores badly or you shatter your knee and become, <laughs> like, and, and you become a living I, cursed I, I, object. I, I literally, I, I, I literally remember lying in bed and saying out loud in an attempt to like wake them up so they'd stop snoring. Are you kidding me? <laughs> like in a passive aggressive way, and they still slept through it. I don't think anyone could hear me say, "Are you kidding me?" Oh. It was drowned out by the sound of basically like a digger reversing. 
I like that in this scenario, you're the um, Steve Martin to whoever this John Candy was. Um, so, so yeah, without dwelling on that further, it was um, quite an experience to write an entire cover feature in about four or five hours. But um, I yeah. did it, and uh, I remember this being a great issue. So, next one of yours, Matthew. Uh, this is the second to last official Nintendo. This was Super Smash Brothers uh, for 3DS. It's just great art. Smash Brothers is like a dream game to cover on magazines because it means Nintendo are going to put together an amazing bit of art with like everyone who is good to sell magazines. So like, if you ever want a cover where like Mario, Link, and Samus all look amazing, and Pikachu, like Smash Brothers all the way like slightly bittersweet in that at this point like we knew the mag was coming to a close my little hint at that uh there were lots of hints in the issue that it was coming to a close about like lots of references to to, like it begins and it's the beginning of the end and all this kind of stuff the reason we did this top 200 nintendo games of all time um we did the first 100 in this issue and then the last 100 in the in the final issue we actually split it. We did th- we did the top 100 third-party games this issue, and then we did the top 100 first-party in the next issue. Really good feature. We basically got in, like, all of our freelancers. You know, I basically sent out the list of, of, of what it was. You know, we we constructed the list, and then we sent out to all our freelancers, like, just, just pick pick games off this and write X amount. And so it was, it was really kind of built from everyone who'd been writing for that era of O&M anyway it's a really strong feature um yeah otherwise i think this is just a like i was glad that we got to go out on like something sort of semi semi cool with smash brothers the rest of the cover construction isn't particularly exciting like it's a little bit a little bit listy on the game names there's not a lot of messaging on there that little box at the bottom is is a little a little dry um see bayonetta on the snes mm, i'm interested by that what's yeah. that about yeah um, that's that's just the, the you know those guys used to do the SNES D makes and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, it was a, a a pretty good beginning of the end. I thought. Yeah, that is cool. I would love to see that um, two hundred games list. Is it anywhere on the internet, like archived or anything? Or no, I had to, I remember there was a reference to like Majora's Mask, but it was like the number of days between issues. It was like you know it's the dawn of the whatever you know thirty one days remain or something. And there were lots of references to Alexis being the last one, which no one seemed to catch on. Yeah. Um, a big, um, the big uh, two thousand word transcript of the meeting where you were offered the OXM editor job um, that <laughs> yeah. gave it away slightly as well. Uh, yeah, my editor's intro was like, "Does anyone know a removal a removal firm that will drive to Bath from <laughs> London?" <laughs> I am. Um, oh, that's weird. <laughs> It's funny because we didn't actually, um, in terms of the game itself, we didn't talk about Super Smash Bros. on 3DS in our 3DS episode. But I remember being a bit disappointed by it. I don't know if you had any thoughts on that one. But I thought it felt more like a sort of proof of concept or like a demo. I mean, it had lots of stuff in it, but it wasn't wasn't the same as like a full-fat Smash Bros. Do you have any thoughts on that yeah, game? Yeah, I, I, I like that it had like 3DS, you know, I like that they were trying to put like, you know, nods to the 3DS heritage on it and, 
you know, then the Wii U version had the more console. You know, they, they each had like exclusive levels. Um, I, I, I thought it was amazing. You know, I thought technically it was amazing. It looked beautiful. Like I actually thought it, it worked pretty well. And you'd, you'd obviously want to play the Wii U version over it, but I thought it was a, a pretty decent attempt to put it on there. It's just whether like the controls held up with the analog stick. You know, maybe maybe wasn't the most natural thing for it. Yeah, I, I you know, like the music in it. I like the the. It had that weird little kind of mode where you that sort of weird little RPG mode that was kind of exclusive to it, where you sort of battle your way through that kind of structure. Oh, I can't remember the name of it. It's been yonk since I've played it. Um, but yeah, I, you know, I I I I thought it was good. I don't think it was just Nintendo Stockholm syndrome kicking in. Yeah, I think it, yeah, I'm probably being a bit harsh there. I think just like you say, it was a feat having it on the um, on the handheld. So uh, yeah. yeah, and I just um, I just know you would have begrudged putting that Pokemon hit in there too. So uh, that makes me happy. <laughs> Look how many words it takes up as well. Jesus, that's like oh, um, so long. Every editor. The worst thing about Pokemon and covering Pokemon magazine is trying to remember the weird combination of keys to put that weird accent above the E. <laughs> Um, and 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 every single time being like, oh well, how do I do that in this font? And having to look it up on InDesign, which we used to make the magazine. It's just a, it's a huge pain in the ass. Yeah, I You're think it's better I... off not covering it. But it's not really a cho- an option you have on official Nintendo. I think I um eventually when it came to using like an E with an accent, I would use the insert button every single time in InDesign and do it manually. Um, yeah, I think I was man. doing that too. Yeah, yeah. Next one, Matthew is Doom on PC Gamer. So this was actually straight after the um, Hitman issue that I uh, I mentioned previously. What a run you had. Yeah, it was good. This was like um, 2015. When we get to the best games of 2015 episode, people will be like, oh, holy shit, that was actually like the banner year of the um, the last decade. There was just so much going on that year. And um, that made the, the hits here very easy. So... Doom is your main uh, cover hit. You've got the, um, what's his name, uh, villain from the game. I've forgotten his name now. The uh, dude with the shoulder guns. They're, uh, you know, the uh, iconic S- Doom Skeleton villain. Pete. <laughs> yes, that's it, yeah. So you've got that dude there, and then you've got a little Fallout hit, top left, with a little um, Vault Boy there. And uh, Fallout 4, that feature was based on like nothing but the E3 presentation and trying to pick out every tiny detail from it, basically, mm. because... There was no more access to Fallout 4. And there were a couple of interviews with like Todd Howard as well, and it was like strip mining it for information because it was the big game people wanted to know about. Um, mm. I think we got a good um, feature out of it, but it very much reminds me of you trying to make those um, Mario Galaxy features, Matthew, where it's like, mm. is that a pair of lips? No. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but the Doom stuff was good. This was off the back of um, QuakeCon, and uh, I believe it was sort of rough off the back of QuakeCon anyway. And yeah, we um, got... Uh, access to the game, an interview with the developer. This was cool as well because uh, Doom 2016, like when they first showed it at E3, this looked legit. I actually remember that um, E3 presentation in 2015, uh, Bethesda's one being extremely good overall. And uh, yeah, this was another part of it. I was actually sat next to a guy in the theatre at that presentation who who had brought his girlfriend there. And like, there was this, when there was um, a part where one of these monsters appeared on screen and like doom guy started chainsawing through him and he just went oh shit and um just squeezed his girlfriend's hand really tight and uh i always remember that dude as being like um <laughs> iconic he was so into it so yeah doom really cool and then um the other hits were a lot easier like um star wars battlefront was around that year so this was actually this game was huge this year and i remember this 
every time you manage to find a way to put this on the cover i seem to recall it being like um successful or like a big deal and uh yeah yeah and so we married that to this very cool um witcher 3 making of uh feature which was about the side quest uh the very famous was it bloody baron side quest bloody ba- yeah i remember this uh, andy kelly went like super granular on it right yeah so interviewed like um the the writer and then like the quest designer and had all this um this cool imagery from it and it was yeah the type of feature we tried to do on PC Gamer was just this, like, really deke down into, like, a really iconic moment from a game or a level or stuff like that. So, yeah, I remember this being a very good issue. And, um, again, don't ask me any questions about the uh, free gifts. Um, Dirty Bomb, that's, like, a long-forgotten game. Um, Play as Fragger. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I'm glad that says Fragger. For one second, I thought it said something else. Um, but, yes, uh, good stuff. What do you think of this one, Matthew? Yeah, this is. It, I mean, I like this because it reminds me of like the same period on LXM where like just there were games people were super into the Star Wars Fallout. I mean, yeah, we we saw like probably the best sales when I was on LXM during that period. Like it, like the the the, the we did a Fallout Four cover, which really did did the numbers. I think this was all of us covering the same sort of events. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, I've as you'll see in a second, I've got a doom a doom cover myself. I mean, I I I I was sort of super super up for the game, super into it. I didn't necessarily have a read on like how popular it was going to be or if it was popular, um, but I thought the art for it was really striking. Um, it was just a great time for kind of classic, well loved things looking in sort of good health. Mm. So it was a lot of very familiar kind of game series but they were like back in a big way or they were you know the strongest they'd ever been it was a it was a good really good couple of months yeah um yeah i i remember this period just being really really strong it was the year we redesigned pc gamer as well so this actually isn't actually straight after hitman i recall this was actually the second issue after our redesign issue and um the redesign had xcom 2 on the cover which again was like a really easy this is a perfect kind of pc gamer sort of game and uh yeah, it was definitely, I agree with you, it, it did seem like there were actually more games than you could put on your cover at the time, and that was almost never the case as an editor. Yeah, yeah, this must have been, This you must have been doing this at the same time, because the Mafia 3 reveal was at the Gamescom, where I was stuck with the snore machine, so... <laughs> yeah, so fun times, but um, no, I like this, a quintessential uh, piece of gamer cover, um, nice Doom logo. Uh, mm. So what's one of yours, uh, Matthew, what's coming up next? Uh, next up, I've, I've got our Metal Gear Solid Five cover. Uh, this is one where the wallet had a lot more on it because this is super sparse, so it, it doesn't have like much to break down. Um, mainly because I loved the art for Metal Gear Solid Five: Phantom Pain. It was just absolutely amazing. Kind of had all the characters on. There's just interesting colours, but you also get the classic big boss on there. It just looks awesome. Um, th- this was, I mean. It's weird. I think there was a little apprehension about it because everyone was still feeling that Metal Gear kind of belonged more to sort of Sony. It wasn't necessarily a big pull or as big a pull on an Xbox mag. Um, I was really keen to do it, mainly because I just really wanted to play it. Um, this was an absolutely shameless cover where like, I 100% did it because I just wanted access to Metal Gear Solid Five because I was so pumped for it. We went over, we played this at... Um, 
Konami's like Los Angeles studio where they made the multiplayer, hmm. which then got sort of shut down subsequently. Um, yeah, we basically played Metal Gear Solid Five: Phantom Pain for two days um, at preview. It was wild. It was so good. I mean, the f- the features one of my favorite features I've ever written, just because I had so much. You know, I had like two full long days with the game to talk about it. Two funny things happened on that trip. At one point, and uh, not massively on board with, with, with this, but like it was one of these trips where like you could tweet about it, but it was very much like on their terms. So there was literally a point on the trip where it was like, at this time, you can tweet for an hour about the game, and you realised, oh, we've actually been turned into a little bit of a kind of PR stunt for this game, hmm. like this rush of tweets. Um, but I remember, because I, I tweeted that, uh, something cool about... Um, like the attack helicopter coming in and it was playing one of the 80s tracks i can't remember and then they went mental at me because apparently i wasn't allowed to say what songs were in the game but they hadn't told us that right um so that that created a a weird kind of tension (laughs) but but like it was phrased as like kojima himself wants you to take this tweet down and it's like i would have done it if you just asked me you know as yourself you don't have to like throw the threat of Hideo Kojima on me yeah <laughs> um, but I like the idea of him reading being like no <laughs> <laughs> can't believe you've said a horror in this <laughs> whatever and the other weird thing was um they <laughs> they asked us if we wanted to be in a documentary about Metal Gear right. and like do some talking head stuff which I probably should have said no to because like fundamentally you know, I was there to cover it for the mag or whatever. But, like, the curious part of my brain was like, oh, yeah, sure, you know, I'm just interested to see what, like, what they want this for. And I kind of did it, and they just asked us questions about, like, you know, what we thought about, you know, our classic Metal Gear memories or whatever. And then it actually ended up being included on a special documentary which came with Metal Gear Solid Five. But the really weird thing about this is everyone else interviewed in it is really famous, apart from me and Matt Pellet. Right. <laughs> so, so, like, it's literally the talking heads are, like, Guillermo del Toro, like, maybe, like, J.J. Abrams, uh, you know, Mads Mikkelsen, and then me and Matt Pellet. <laughs> and you're like... Why weren't we also in Death Stranding? You know, (laughs) (laughs) I wondered if people watched it were like, "Who the fuck are these guys?" (laughs) This is odd. Like, oh, some nobodies. Um, Oh, and it had uh, what's his chops? Um, The guy directed Drive. Oh, um, uh, Nicholas. um... (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So it's just really odd to cut from him to cut to me, not really being able to remember uh, how the boss fight against the end worked. <laughs> like, most of what I said, I, like, I think there's only a very brief bit of me because I basically bungled all my anecdotes. <laughs> couldn't quite remember them. Um, You're there but, playing... Like, Pellet's in it loads because he was, like, really on top of it. Uh, but, yeah, that's, so that's, that's quite funny. Yeah. They, uh, they only used a clip where you were saying, I believe you fought the end in some kind of shopping centre. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, so I think you can actually watch the documentary on, like, Steam. I think it's, like, part of the digital ownership. If you buy Metal Gear Solid Five: Phantom Pain, you get a copy of this documentary on Steam as well. But, yeah, that, I mean, that that's weird. So, yeah, maybe I just picked this cover so I could talk about those weird anecdotes. I don't know, but it's a good Metal Gear cover. Um, there's not much else going on here. 20 new games inside. 
Assassin's Creed, very vague. Which one? Who knows? Mass <laughs> Effect 4, Gears of War, again, vague. <laughs> I mean, it's almost like, oh, I've had my fun this month. I've seen Metal Gear Solid 5. I'll just phone in the rest of this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is just this was all done in one email to your uh, art editor. Well, I imagine, Matthew, that this was in a bag, right? So, um, you know, people... Yeah, yeah. That, the, yeah, it was in a wallet. It had a lot going on. It's a really good issue. It's, it's probably my favourite issue of official Xbox that I did. Um, the features in this issue were just really fun. There was, there's a really there's a really good feature about like um, the twenty best side quests, and as you go through the feature, there are then side quest features inside the feature to distract you from the feature. Oh, cool! So it's like, oh no, you've hit a side quest feature, and then you had to do this other feature before you could carry on reading it, which I really liked. Yeah, just this this was just like. Everyone on the team doing that, doing their best work with some really exciting access, kind of the dream, really. Yeah, I remember this um, Metal Gear event. I remember kind of being very, very jealous that we weren't involved in it. I think that we knew for quite a long time before it was revealed that um, Metal Gear Solid Five was going to launch on PC. I don't mm. remember if at this point maybe it was known and they'd release Ground Zeroes on PC, but... In any case, I um, recall there being like um, some kind of. I think the the original release of Phantom Pain was set for after the console releases, and then they brought it forward. So it was never really considered like a PC game. Yeah. Um, and I remember you and um, yeah other publications going to this event and telling me about it and just being like, "Oh, holy shit, that sounds fucking amazing!" Um, in oh, fact, was, yeah, yeah, it was mad. It, it was just it was. If anything, like playing that much of it, you know, almost you know 20 hours of it or something probably like the most access i'd had to something outside of like having something to review and it was like how the hell do i get this down i remember i had a notebook that was just almost full of just because i was just trying to write down everything about the game and it just kept throwing up like new mad stuff and it was basically that you could play it just you could just keep on playing it and basically cover what you could get through and you know it was all new information as well because they'd done a lot of trailers but you know it put everything in context i remember just thinking like how the hell am i going to tackle this like whatever i write about i'll kind of be doing this access to service um but it was yeah like uh really yeah a a great a, a really great trip i mean yeah one of the one of the best games of the generation as well so it's funny to think of them telling you um you know, Kojima himself would like you to take this tweet down, and then like four months, that same company, like, uh, the, yeah. what, what is the story there? One day that story has to come out. What actually happened there? Because maybe um... him kicking off about my tweet was the straw that broke the camel's back. <laughs> yeah, maybe they said you're not going to use this prick in my documentary, are you? I'm, I'm fucking out. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, that's no, that's a nice cover. We're fe- featuring lots of imagery that um, ultimately ends up not being that relevant to the game. Um, like the fucking fire horse, <laughs> all that stuff in the prologue that has nothing to do with the rest of the game. Um, but no, beautiful. Uh, so my final one for this episode, Matthew, is a Deus Ex Mankind Divided cover that we Ooh. did in 2015 as well. So you, you know, you're seeing a theme here. 2015 is clearly yeah. where I thought we were doing our best work on PC Gamer. I think it's don't be- get more PC than this. Exactly. Yeah. So uh, Deus Ex uh, Human Revolution was, um, you know, considered a very successful uh, revival of the formula. I think they took too long to to bring this one out. It came out almost five years after the last one, which is like a, mm. a really, really big gap. And 
Rumours suggest it's because they were simultaneously working on a follow-up that was um, ultimately doomed because this one didn't sell well enough, which you know seems like a very flawed approach in um, retrospect. But that's never been confirmed by Square Enix. That's just, um, I think, Jim Sterling uh, uh, circulated that. But nonetheless, I picked this cover because I think it looks amazing. Um, we had gold foil on all the different gold bits. And mm. I think it's probably the nicest-looking PC Gamer cover I worked on. It has... Um, really like nice big hits you've got battlefront uh, i think we'd um i've been to uh sweden uh to dice to play this uh battlefront at this point and it was kind of like um closest we could get to like a review hit basically and then the best um gta 5 mods gta 5 had launched on pc after quite a long wait and um we also have the how to run them hit there which is for dunderheads like me who don't know how to install mods properly um <laughs> side note i still can't really install mods properly i've been trying to install these um fallout new vegas mods and i've broken the game over and over again even though the same mods worked perfectly on my last pc um and i don't know how to fix it because i don't know what i'm doing um so yeah in your version of gta 5 just everyone is trevor now forever <laughs> <laughs> yeah there's no fixing it even if i uninstall it um yeah including me i'm also trevor so um yeah uh good times there's um, also the very, very funny um, motherboards hit here, which is, um, <laughs> I'm going to be honest, it's hard to make a motherboard sound fun and exciting, um, which is why if you see graphics cards hit, they tend to be a bit higher on the um, on the cover because graphics cards, they're sexy, you know, like um, people want to buy them and up, up, it's a very clear kind of like benefit from buying them. Motherboards are a bit more, you know, of a utility thing. Obviously, they're very important, mm. but they're not that exciting. So, uh, yep. And um, you got a little uh, Vault Boy down there as well with their... Um, gold classic gold uh, foil behind him too that looks really nice and uh i think this just looks lovely if i saw this um you know on the shelves i would have bought it, it looks uh, looks fantastic again don't ask me about the free gift hits i um i cannot talk about it without getting um remembering how stressful it was to arrange those but um yeah what do you make of this one matthew yeah this is this is great i mean I, we did an lxm cover with the same art like a few months later um didn't feel as natural a fit. Loved the game. Thought the game was cool, but it, it you know it, it just feels like it belongs to PC a bit more. Um, yeah, I remember this one with all the all the, the trimmings and the, the the gold and everything. It looked it looked really great. I mean, again, takes me back to the era where like every issue we could stick Darth Vader on the cover. God bless him. God bless you, evil Darth Vader. <laughs> you may have been bad for many many people in a galaxy far far away, but you were pretty good. For Team Alex in Bath. God damn, that, um, that layered PSD file went a long way. I mean, um, <laughs> yeah. I love the FPS that Star Wars fans deserve. I mean, you could read that many ways. <laughs> Wait, there's a question mark there, though, that's very well hidden. So, um, oh, I right. didn't, oh, yeah. I didn't commit that's... to it, Matthew. That's the that's my, like, bailout clause right there. But, it, but I'd also ask, like, what kind of FPS do they deserve? Have they been good? Have the Star Wars fans been good? I mean, do they deserve a good FPS? I mean, the Star I Wars fans know. haven't been good at all. I mean, that's they like... Haven't. No, they're like they're um, very naughty. They deserve a bad <laughs> FPS. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, they deserve to be sold an FPS that is actually a copy of the Last Jedi, just to really fuck them up. Um, <laughs> but no, I mean Battlefront was um, this was the moment where there was the most interest in Star Wars, you know, uh, ever basically because hmm. it was just before the Force Awakens came out, and obviously EA had not rushed out Battlefront, but Battlefront the original. I think it's a pretty good FPS, but it's very light compared to yeah. um you know a lot of what you expect from a first person shooter at that point but um yeah and it wasn't like a 
wasn't beloved and i don't think star wars would have this same pull again it's like a magazine hit but um this mm. year for sure it was all over the place it's because they spent all their time like using those 3d cameras to scan in textures from like original bits of bark from the <laughs> end and things like that yeah They'd maybe spent a bit more time making more game maybe <laughs> more people would have liked it but they were like yeah but look at the ferns they're 100 percent accurate ferns and you're like yeah oh matt castle explains game development um <laughs> less bark more b-wings um matt castle yeah definitely yeah i am um, i actually have i have some fond memories of the original battlefront in that i was quite good at the very um star fox-esque uh starfighter assault uh sort of spaceship combat stuff it was um really straightforward but i was actually kind of good at it and when they made it more skill-based in the second one, and I was suddenly shit at it. I was incredibly disappointed. So um, I like that I was really good at this until they made it skill-based. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's exactly the story I'm trying to tell there. Um, yeah. <laughs> oh, God damn it! If it wasn't for skill, <laughs> I, I would have excelled at many things. <laughs> this cover also reminds me of a game that I, I completely forgot it existed, which is um, Homefront the Revolution. So... Homefront, obviously, like a very mediocre first-person shooter, sort of riff on... It was basically like the THQ version of Call of Duty, um, but not as good, and um, had like a vague sort of John Milius uh, sort of script element to it, a bit of a Red Dawn vibe, and um, they made a sequel. But the Time Splitters, um, well, I don't know if they really like the Time Splitters people, but the same studio technically uh, ended up making a sequel in the CryEngine, and it was... Um, quite glitchy but the sort of thing i can imagine that in a few years people will write retrospectives on it being like unusual but interesting um do you remember this yeah. game yeah i do i remember going to a gamescom like i think reveal presentation for it and it was terrible like the demo was really bad and i actually like i think the final game is okay like it's 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 flawed but it's it's it, you know it's got it's got something to it but this original demo was really really bad and i remember like coming away from that gamescom thinking like oh yikes that game's in trouble and then i felt terrible because on the plane on the way back i was basically all the people sitting around me on the plane was was the team that demoed it to me right. so it was all people from that is it Dan buster studio i think yeah and i remember just sitting there thinking like in my head, I am writing a really horrible preview of this thing that you were clearly working really hard on. I just felt really rotten about it. But then they all talked on the plane a lot all the way home, and maybe I felt less bad by the end of that flight. <laughs> Jeez, I mean, yeah, we're getting a lot of um, insight into the. Uh... Listen, that was I just had all that day, all those days of Snorgate. So <laughs> like, I was feeling pretty raw by then. Like, it's it's telling that. The the Gamescom where I fell over and shattered my knee was like a really fun memory for me compared to that Gamescom. <laughs> well, I like to uh, credit like, myself and my company for that. Um, yeah, I mean, it was great. You didn't snore. You didn't moan about all the blood. Yeah, all the other liquids. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, miscellaneous knee liquids, um, which would be the name of our band, I think, if we ever had one. But, um, yeah. yeah, I think that. Uh, yeah, I, if you shared a room with me now, you'd find that my um, grotesque weight gain from lockdown has indeed made me a terrible snorer. Um, so, uh, oh well, yeah. well, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm a snorer now as well for the, for the same reason. So, um, I'm either die a hero or live long enough to become a big fat snoring man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and on that note, why don't you talk me through your final cover here, Matthew? Uh, yeah, so this is uh, this is my Doom cover. This was actually this was the. Uh, oxm redesign 
this is the this is the only redesign I was involved in as an editor. I, I, you know, we'd done a redesign on Endgamer. We obviously then did the major redesign to Nintendo Gamer. Uh, official Nintendo had a redesign while I was on it, um, but actually being involved as the editor made it, it was a bit more hands on because the process of redesigning magazines, at least when I did it, was always kind of top level stuff was done by the kind of editor and senior editors and art editors you didn't bring the whole team in because it'd just be too many cooks and then maybe like you finessed it with more input from the team so it was kind of interesting being being involved in in this process um i was really really proud of this redesign you know when we took over oxm you know i was obviously really happy to have the job and i got to move back to bath and you know it was i got to continue writing about games but at the same time like i never like one it never felt like 100 percent mine like going from that all those nintendo mags to an xbox mag is obviously a bit of a jump and this this is the time actually where going through this process like i felt like i owned the mag a bit more it came out the other end um i thought it was a i thought it was quite a smart magazine i thought it it was designed to like champion good writing you know, it was a very writer-friendly mag, lots of like juicy word counts without feeling too hectic. Mark Wynn, the editor at the art editor on OXM, is just an absolute magazine genius. I mean, he did a such a beautiful job on it. Yeah, I mean, it may not look massively different to our other OXM things, but we basically the big change was we had this quite um, like tiled design on the cover. So the main cover hit was always in this sort of square box, and then we had the the four hits underneath. Almost a bit more like the wallet design, but it, it, it shifted to a, a see-through bag so you could kind of see more of it. So the cover had to do a bit more heavy lifting than, say, that Metal Gear cover, which was inside a wallet. Um, but I really liked it as a design to show off like good good game art. It let us have some really clear hits. Um, you know, it was very easy to read. It was always very easy to work with. So I, know I picked this particular one because it was the first one. I mean, this is... Um, Another unnameable character from Doom. <laughs> I don't know. Um, Big... Beefy Ted. Beefy Ted, that's his name. Yeah. You know, we were really into the game. Doom was looking great. I mean, we were big behind, you know, behind it as an actual game. Again, never had a ma- great feel for like, ha- you know, whether there was a massive appetite for it. The art is, you know, Doom either is or isn't your cup of tea. Um, but I thought it was quite like dynamic and filled the space and sort of showed off the design of what we were trying to do um, quite nicely. There was a lot of debate about what we put on the redesign cover to to kind of make use of this space and. It's uh, I like the Gears of War 4 hit, which is even the wind is trying to kill you on Xbox One, uh, <laughs> which is true. Like, that's the most interesting thing about Gears of War 4. The wind is deadly. I quite like the future of Xbox One. Could the next gen already be here? Anything which kind of lets you talk next gen before it's ready is always good. Yeah, I was just, you know, f- fond, fond of the redesign. So fond of this as a kind of an encapsulation of, of that process. Yeah, so um, mag redesigns are an interesting thing. So um, the mag redesign process was largely done, it was driven partly by like senior people, but then um, we did a lot of it ourselves on team, a lot of refining. And um, on PC Gamer, it was mostly coming up with a new front end for the magazine because the beginning of magazines are really tough to figure out. If you have a new section, it ends up being out of date by the time people have it in their hands. So you kind of want to go with more of like um, a feature section before you get to the feature section. But then what are you putting in it that's different from a preview section or your feature section already? It looked really nice afterwards though. And um, yeah, working on a redesign, it's a cool thing. It's it's really nice to like update the fonts and to 
you know, see it look more contemporary. And PC Gamer, when I um, took over, was starting to look a little bit creaky. Uh, I think mm. it just been the same since like the mid noughties or possibly like the late noughties. So it'd been a while, and um, yeah, it was nice to give it a give it a shot in the arm. It'd been a long time coming, but um, yeah, I think mm. this looks nice. And uh, I did have a question for you though, which is why did Doom and not like Quantum Break or Gears of War four seem like the thing to lead with on an Xbox redesign cover? I think in terms of what we actually had, I think we had done a Gears cover quite close. I, in fact. Gears of War 4 was the next cover where, where I think we had access lined up. That's what probably why we did. We held off. Um, Quantum Break, uh, we just, we weren't really feeling it. We did a preview cover. We did a preview cover um, like a few issues before this one. So we bet on Doom. I think it was just, we just wanted something new. Like, I, I don't think we wanted to kick off the redesign with a with just like something scraped together from like nothing. Like we actually wanted access and something good, something with actual substance. So it was very much a balancing act. This definitely isn't like the dream. This wasn't like the dream launch game, um, but we didn't have any dream games at that point. You know, it was actually I, I kind of wish we'd redesigned the summer before and hit, hit that like Battlefront Fallout kind of period. Halo 5. Um, yeah, this was just this was quite quiet. Um, this was just quite a quiet period for games for us and you know it picked up again once we got to e3 because then we had like mass effect andromeda which started doing well for us um and things like that so yeah quantum break though move over max Payne. <laughs> <laughs> i told you i leaned on that a lot <laughs> yeah and um yeah i think that <laughs> it's nice to see that exist across like multiple years <laughs> three different magazines <laughs> Um, yeah, it's just like, and what? Move over, Mac. Where's Max Payne now? Just standing to the side, going, yeah. yeah? Now what? It's Quantum Break's time to shine. Oh Max. man, I feel like Quantum Break is the ultimate like um, bad timing Xbox exclusive. Like this was right at a really low moment for Xbox, and um, I feel like yeah. Quantum Break just like lost out. Probably like would have done quite well if it was it, it had been released like two years later or something like that. But. Um, yeah. Yeah, it was it was it was rough like we definitely salvaged good issues from this period but I re- like we had we we'd inherited first party Xbox at like very low ebb. Mm. Um and it was yeah not a jolly time for like what you could and couldn't rely on. Yeah. Um yeah, it was tough. It was tough. Yeah. Just the redesign to try and spice it up. Yeah, fair enough, you know. I, I recall 2016 being a fairly tough time for um, PC Gamer covers too, which is why I don't actually have, probably don't have any of them here. Nonetheless, it was uh, good to get a little um, glimpse into what it's like to redesign a magazine, Matthew. I recall this being quite a jolly time generally as well. I feel like um, all the mags are firing on all cylinders at this point. Like, um, we were all certainly giving it uh, our all, is my recollection. Mm. And uh, yeah, all editors of a sort of similar age doing our thing. Um, yeah, good times. Yeah, Matthew. There we go. We've um, I feel like we've comprehensively hit the subject of covers now. Like, um, it was really nice to go through these because I think we have a quite a different vibe to the um, to the ones we covered in the From Hell episode. Well, it's nice to take some actual pride in our work rather than just this the whole vibe of the podcast being like, you know, a hundred times we shatter up the wall. Yeah, exactly. Because that's not like um, it, that is does make for a, like a fun a a fun podcast title and like b a lot of comedy sort of generally, but. It's not really reflective of what the experience of being a mag editor is like, which is, I would say, like, 75% of the time, you're pretty happy with what you get back. Like, um, yeah, I have great affection for it. 
And um, I can tell just from the choice, the choices of games here are very you, Matthew. And it was nice to hear about <laughs> your rationale there. But um, and also just the uh, the killer anecdote about uh, Hideo Kojima demanding that your tweet comes down. Um, <laughs> the helicopter's playing Cure. Get that off the fucking internet. That's um, yeah. Don't worry. I got him back by telling a really unconvincing anecdote in his precious documentary. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Every time he watches that, he must get, to, and you know that he rewatches it. Uh, he'll get to the bit with me and be like, "Oh, this guy didn't even play the game. It's so obvious." <laughs> and I'm like, "And you're right." And he's eating a rennie in the middle of the interview. I mean, unbelievable. And he's got mayonnaise on his hoodie. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, there we go, Matthew. So another episode comes to a close. As we mentioned earlier in the episode, next week we're going to do the Yakuza series special. We're going to talk a bit about Judgment, which is releasing on PS5 in April. And we've got a special guest, and as yet unknown special guest. Well, I guess now we've promised it's an actual character from the Yakuza series. So it's going to be hard to live up to that. In the meantime, if you want to follow the podcast on Twitter, we're BackpagePod. If you'd like to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, that really helps with our visibility. A bunch of you have left very nice reviews since we recorded our last episode. And it really is lovely to get that nice feedback. So thank you very much. We appreciate it. And uh, if you want to follow Matthew, uh, where can they find you, Matthew, on uh, on Twitter? I'm Mr. Basil underscore Pesto on Twitter. I'm Samuel W. Roberts on Twitter. Thank you very much for listening. And we'll be back next week. Bye for now. Mm-hmm.